0: Welcome to the Republican professor this morning for me in California. We have the best guest ever, <coughs> Master Chief Larry Wilsky, United States Navy, retired. Thanks for being here, Master Chief. My pleasure and an honor. So, uh, Larry, um, I've just met you uh, through a mutual uh, uh, firearms acquaintance, and I know that you teach firearms um how did you get into that
1: well professionally as a seal that's part of what you do and one of our core missions overseas in all special operations is called foreign internal defense where we train other militaries how to be a military mm. whether you agree with it politically or not uh, that's just one of the core competencies not a mission seals life but we'll do it and that's where you really cut your teeth on the instruction side because you're instructing foreigners a lot of times through interpreters and, and areas where people may or may not even want you there. So it's, it's a pretty hostile environment and a hostile crowd But we have to do our job. That's where I got started training other folks in firearms and, and SEALs as well because we're always trained.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for your service. Um, you were in the United States Navy, obviously. <laughs> um uh so did you go right into being a seal out of high school actually okay i was
1: well i went to college and then i was recruited in the navy to be on the wrestling team no kidding what
0: really So that's what got me in the navy i didn't even know there was
1: a wrestling team. team really wow well at one point in time we were one of the top two in the nation Huh. and that's in the open division for freestyle and greco roman wrestling the year I came on was um, in 1983 when I joined the Navy and joined that, that team. We had just had four people on the prior Olympic team. So we had a really good team. What? And wow. I
0: now, this is the not the Naval university. Academy team, right? This is no, not- this is
1: the Navy team that competes on an open level. So this is what feeds the Pan Am Games, the University Games, the Olympics, And and all four services have their own teams and they're, they're pretty notch.
0: What weight class did you wrestle?
1: 149 and a half and 163.
0: 149 and 163. Okay. And how old were you?
1: 23 and 24 when I was on the wrestling team. Okay. And then after that, one of the guys in the team had been a steel team washout. He washed out of training, but everything he had to say was real positive. He loved it, and the more he talked about it, the more I wanted to take a look at it. So I went and tried out, and then my career changed. So, went to so, training, had some, uh, just a great time. It was the most wonderful experience ever. If you're wired for it, it's you got something to laugh about every day. If you're not, it's miserable. But I was wired for it, so I I dug it.
0: How, what does it take to be wired for that? When you say wired, what does that mean? What's in your mind when
1: you say well, that? Well, they 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 teach you a lot of things in training. Academically, you have to stay focused, and you always have to study. The physical side of it is is get you out of your comfort zone, so you learn new comfort zones. Oh. and then they teach yeah. you you know how to swim, how to run, how to carry heavy things, how to shoot, move, communicate, how to do scuba diving, health. Uh, first aid, uh, there's a lot of things to learn in that six months. And it's done under pressure situations constantly. So if you don't mind pressure situations, you enjoy learning and you are the type of person that wants to find out, okay, what's my next comfort level you're wired for. But we had folks that showed up were phenomenal athletes that never got out of their comfort zone that didn't do very well because they'd never been pushed beyond their exceptional natural abilities. So yeah, there were a lot of folks that you would think, oh, they'll make a great seal. And then the budgie kid that shows up from nowhere who's not done a whole lot but has really enjoyed it and was tougher with nails, does real well with it. So you can't really tell until you're in training if it's something for you or not. For me, it was just the greatest experience ever. <laughs>
0: um I'm sure I'm sure you're used to people he- hearing people say, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool that's cool <laughs> master chief so you were okay i i just want to get the, so what did you major in in college
1: uh business i didn't finish i got my first three years in and then i finished after i was in the Navy. where'd you do your college at uh san diego city san diego mesa and san diego state colleges
0: oh okay and then so you're I from san diego i am <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. oh then okay. i finished up at national university in san diego
0: Wow, okay. So uh now where did you go to boot camp? <laughs> Two miles from where I live in <laughs> San Diego. <laughs> Gosh, that's where I went too. We always heard the Marines over the over the fence, but then they closed that base down for that. Um so what was your rating when you when you got you what did you we'll have, have a s- few Okay. So I
1: started out as a operations specialist, mm-hmm. shipboard communications, radar uh, information collection. And then when I, I made all, all the way to first class, then to go to chief, I switched over to bosun mate because OS had classified study material that we couldn't take with us in the field and bosun mate some material I could take anywhere. So I made chief as a bosun mate. Oh. Then when I was a senior, senior chief, we created our own rating special operations special operator so then i switched to so and that's where i went all the way to master chief and then as a master chief i was given the rating of command master chief so i had a number of rates
0: wow i did not know that so you had so this, as a senior chief you had a uh, your rating was special operator special operations or special, no, work. I was a boast mate as a senior chief. Oh, Okay, gotcha. I think I missed that. Uh, and your last command, you were the senior enlisted, so you're the master command master chief, or not at
1: my last command. I had two command master chief tours at oh. some seal team seven uh, where I was a plank owner, so that was quite an honor. Okay, no and well, then that's cool. And then another one was at um the logistic support command for the west coast seal teams, so we were the logistic support. For all the SEALs that would operate from the Philippines to the Middle East and the West Coast team. So, half of the SEAL teams.
0: Okay. So, you just used the term plank owner. I know what that means, but uh, okay. there might be people that don't know because they're just a bunch of land lovers. Sure. <laughs> what do you mean? So, by a that? plank owner is
1: when they commission a command of a Navy, a ship, or a, like a SEAL team, and they commissioned SEAL Team 7 in 2002. Okay. And I was the first chief assigned to the team. So I was a plank owner, owner of the first plank of wood you know, for that ship vessel or command. Do you still it's have a that? traditional navy?
0: Do you still Is have that, that, that wood piece? You have that piece of wood? No, I've got a little
1: plaque. You got a plaque. <laughs> okay, gotcha. That's
0: awesome. I didn't know that SEAL team seven was uh started after nine eleven.
1: It was actually it commissioned after I got back from a tour at Afghanistan right after that. Oh, So Afghanistan hit on September 11th. And then 21 right. days later, a task force K bar from the West coast was formed in at Masira Oman to conduct operations at Afghanistan.
0: What team were you with at that time? Seal team three. Seal team three. Have you hit all the teams yet?
1: No. Or I, um, I say, yet, I started, out at, the... SDVT. I started <laughs> out at the seal delivery vehicle team, one STV team, one, and our primary mission was driving wet submersibles, so I was a primary pilot in four platoons there, and there was a lot of a lot of time underwater, cold and miserable. But it
0: was are those really... things the ones that just two two guys are in,
1: or it is can that be just... two, it can be more. I think oh, the absolute really? okay. number is still classified, but two guys, pilot, and navigator. At the time, we had two different types of mini subs. Now they're down to one, and it was uh, it was challenging. It was great. Got to go all over. Anywhere with cold water, we were in it. So we got to dive in some really cold, uh, out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere places. Wow. And then after STV Team 1, I went to the Navy Parachute Team, the Frogs, And that was a lot of fun. A uh, few extra injuries, but a lot of fun. Was and say. then from there, I went to— How's your knees? Three. What's that?
0: <laughs> I was going to say, how's your knees? Uh, I'm looking at new ones sooner or later. <laughs> oh, man. Can't even imagine. How, well, okay. The, so uh, when you're, you're, when you're jumping, how much, how much, ma- how much gear are you carrying? What the, what, what's the, give people a sense of how much stuff you have with you. You got how much the crap Navy are you carrying?
1: Team, uh, on the Navy parachute team, it was nothing. It was a sport rig and a cool jumpsuit. Oh, okay. On um, In the, okay. in the teams for, you know, if we had combat equipment jumps, you could have yeah. hundred, 150 pounds hanging off your body. That's like a guy. That's, your that's like another weapon, guy or. That's like
0: another guy hanging off you when you're jumping out of a
1: it is, but the canopies that we used for those jumps were huge. So they were okay. big enough to accommodate all that weight. And you still didn't land very hard with the big square canopies. The the round canopies that we jumped, those uh, those were not comfortable landings. <laughs> you land like a bag of bricks. Is
0: that what but the army uses? Water jumps. Is
1: that what for the me? army
0: is that what the army uses, you know, when you see them jumping out one after another?
1: They they do both. For mass jumps, they use round canopies. Then for their free fall parachuting, that means where you leave an aircraft and you have to pull your own ripcord, they use the same ones across the boards in the military. So I actually went to Army Jump School in Fort Benning, Georgia, which okay. is the same place my dad went to jump school for World War II. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. That so was kind of interesting.
0: Did your dad serve
1: in the Army? He did. He did. He was in both the 101st and 82nd Airborne in World War II. Wow. And pretty colorful career. Had a great time. Uh, Enjoyed it. He was a combat engineer, so he was a bomb guy. And Hmm. it was really filtered over to me as a UDT, a SEAL, bomb guy. So it it was kind of good to keep some family alive in that world.
0: How many, uh, well, how much did your wrestling uh, training and mentality Help you, or did it help at all? Do you think?
1: um I, I think it. I, I've had training camps that I was at that were harder than SEAL training. They just didn't last as long. They were four, yeah. six, four to six weeks, mm. and you could take a beating for four to six weeks, pretty good. SEAL training yeah. was six months. Yeah. But the, um, the you know they've done studies over the years how to get more guys in training, and I believe one of the studies looked at athletes, and the number one graduating athlete for going through training was wrestlers. I think the water oh, players me. are up there pretty good too. So I, I'm sure it helped because wrestling has got some yeah. levels of misery that go with the go with yep. the program. So
0: yeah. That's right. Yeah. I I uh a, and and the the kind of competitive wrestling that you were doing sounds pretty intense as well. Uh when you were how long were you on that Navy wrestling team? Two seasons. Is that like two years or is that, is that just under two
1: years Just because under two I years left there. the team uh, my second year right after the nationals is when I left to go to seal tree and I had to go to a command in between
0: because okay. they
1: had to kind of get me there. But that yeah. was my exit from the, the wrestling.
0: So you were like a seaman. Were you a seaman
1: at that time? Seaman E3. Yes. E3. Okay.
0: With all your college, did you, you came in as a seaman. I did. Okay. Uh, we have the unfortunate uh, <laughs> rank of seaman recruit for the lo- lowest possible E1, you know, that's if you don't have any college. And if you have some college, you come in a little bit higher. So you made petty officer after you did, were you through buds before you made petty officer or how'd that No, work? It was
1: interesting because when you're on the Navy wrestling team, you have to have a parent command. And I was assigned to the USS Hewitt, a ship that I had never even been to. So Ah. I'm on the wrestling team. And then to get my orders to go to uh, Bud's basic underwater demolition seal training, I had to actually go back to the Hewitt and meet my ship. Mm. And while I was there, I liked it. I enjoyed it. (laughs) The time on board, the ship was over the Indian Ocean. They flew me out there to get on the ship and then cruise back to San Diego. And on that cruise... Um, About two and a half, three months, I was able to get surface warfare qualified, which is usually takes about a year and a half. Really? Wow. And the the skipper gave me a command advancement to third class while on board. After just being there for three months, he waived the one year on board requirement. So uh, I enjoyed it. So I was working hard. Apparently somebody thought it was a good thing.
0: I don't think I've ever met a SEAL that was uh surface qualified as well as the seal you don't usually see that it's a different thing you put i mean it wouldn't fit on your uniform anyway because you have the the trident and then they always have the the jump the uh jump jump wings wings. at 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 the bottom um there'd be nowhere for you to i guess you could put it on your belt buckle but i don't know why you do that Uh, yeah i mean my uniform
1: looks ridiculous i look like a mexican (laughs) channel
0: i bet (laughs) What's your highest award for your ribbon? The
1: highest award, a bronze star with a V.
0: Wow. That's a big deal. So did you get that in Iraq or Afghanistan?
1: I got a couple of them and they were in Iraq.
0: Iraq. Okay. Uh, um, and you liked being on the ship before you went to Bud's. Wow. Man, you really are a I, Navy actually, guy.
1: You are a total I, Navy guy right there. I, I, I loved it. I would have, I would have made that a career had I not had other plans.
0: Huh. When you were on the ship. So as a, th- when you were getting third class and your rating at that time was operations specialist, is that right? Is that yes. Okay. So you were like, you're getting advanced to OS three or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. And you liked it out there in the Indian ocean uh, what were you doing day to day? Can you say? Well, there
1: it was. We were on a, my division, we had six on, six off. So, six hours at work, six hours off. And that's how we'd go around the clock. So, I would take six hours for a sleep cycle. And the other six hours would be working out, doing my rate training, doing my um, surface warfare training, going around every different division, learning stuff. And while I was doing that, I took on a job. I was out on deck one day and I, I looked up at the superstructure and it looked a little ratty. So I talked to some bosun mates out there and said, "Hey, you guys wouldn't mind if I painted that, would you?" So I painted <laughs> the whole superstructure in about a month while we were underway because just huh. I wanted that thing to look nicer, and had a, had a great time doing it. I mean, we had rough weather and I was out there swinging back and forth in a bosun chair. and It was kind of like an on-running comedy with the crew. Uh, who is this idiot
0: (laughs) nobody nobody else wanted that job so you gave yourself a job yeah
1: i did and so i was really busy the whole time and and there were people on board that hated being there There were sailors that couldn't stand being in the ocean i love being out of the water i don't get seasick so to me it was just a fantastic adventure that i was actually getting paid
0: now at that time you have this wow you're like probably the Navy's dream at this point. I mean, like whoever your chief was at that time, probably like, holy cow, where'd this guy come from? So you're at that time, you're painting the ship. When is it that you want to go out and shoot guns and jump out of planes and sneak up on bad guys? Are you thinking that at that time? Are you thinking, oh, I want to go kick ass? I was doing the
1: job. I was doing the job at hand. Like I would never have another job but I knew I was getting orders to buds.
0: Hmm. Oh, you ship, already knew that. Okay.
1: Yeah. That, that's why they sent me to the ship because I had to go there to get my orders and check out but the ship was in the Indian ocean. So they couldn't get rid of me until they got back to San Diego.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, might as well. I, I, it's a standard question. You want to tell us about buds? <laughs> um, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff out there. Anybody could look it up. Well,
1: right? I mean, like I said, I enjoyed it and I, I found something to laugh about every day. Our class, class 139, we started with 117 guys who graduated about 17. And wow, the it, it was cold weather
0: hmm.
1: during Hell Week. So that weeds a lot of people out because some people physically can't do well with cold. What um, what month like, was
0: it? Too. What month was it during Hell Week? Uh, Hell, Hell Week
1: was February, February, I believe. Well, that's pretty cold down in San Diego, yeah. It was. It was chilly. But the, uh, the instructor staff was great. I mean, the greatest coaching staff on the planet. And I've had good coaching staffs throughout, you know, 30 years of wrestling, 35 years of wrestling. So the coaching staff, the instructor staff was fantastic. If it was okay. You know, if you were one of those guys that didn't mind getting yelled at. Because they didn't, they never did anything to you, like or torture you. you. You got everything you want. Good, bad, and indifferent. And it, it paid to be a teammate, paid to be a winner, and paid to put your nose to the grindstone. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I, I really did. And I've got some good friends of mine that were my instructors still today.
0: That's awesome. Did you so I, ever I, have I like- did you ever have a, a doubt in your mind that you were gonna finish buds? No. Yeah. That's and so that's probably why you finished.
1: Uh, there's, there's some luck to it. Cause you get injured as well. There's a yeah, lot of injuries.
0: People
1: yeah. get beat up there. There's, uh, mm-hmm. there's just circumstance. So yeah, I got lucky right. enough to stick it out. Had some good guys ended up um, doing real well in my class. And I liked it.
0: Are you an optimist by nature? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Really? Hmm. Wow. Do you think that helped you in your Navy career?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I still believe there's people out there in the world that need to get punched in the face, but I think that's a good thing, too.
0: (laughs) You have a good sense of justice and you have a good sense of uh, propriety and, and happiness. Wow, that's a nice combination there. So give us the overview. You spent how many years in the Navy? 30. Wow. That's a lot. And were you aching at the end of it?
1: You know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because at the end of it, uh, there was a job. My last tour of duty was Navy War College teaching at the Senior Enlisted Academy. No Election kidding, at Navy War really? College. No, well, wow. uh, that's awesome. And then they, um, I was nominated to be the director of the Senior Enlisted Academy, which would have meant extending me past 30 years, and I. Didn't get picked up for the job and I was happy about it, to tell you the truth, Mm. because I could no longer be a SEAL. Physically, I was done. Even though, I mean, on my 50th birthday, I ran 50 miles as a (laughs) stupid thing to do on my birthday. But even still, the the young guys in the teams, you know, you can't lead from the back of the pack. You have to lead from the front or the middle or at least enough effort from the last half that everybody – Wants to be ahead. You You have to be able to push people one way or the other. And at that point, I had had I think 16 surgeries and 64 broken bones. And my gosh, uh, you know, I had taken some lumps. Yeah. So it wasn't. It wouldn't have been fair. Although there were guys that stuck out, stuck it out a little longer than they should have. It wouldn't have been fair to me as a leader or any of the men if I'd have stayed on and continued on. So the ten year. Saying you've done your third to get out was actually a good
0: thing. And you're, and you got out as a master chief, which is the highest rank you can get as an enlisted. That's Um, E nine. For those of you don't know the ranks, it's a seaman E three. And then there's three petty officers, third, second, and first class. That, that corresponds to like corporal sergeant, staff sergeant in the army Marines. And then you have the senior enlisted, which is chief petty officer, which would be like a gunnery sergeant in the, or a first sergeant in the army or gunnery in the Marines. And then um, all the Air Force people are like, wait, what about us? (laughs) And then you have the senior chief, which is E8 and master chief E9. So uh, you went all the way up. Did you ever want to be an officer?
1: There was a point in my career, I think I was in my third platoon, where the uh, my swim buddy was a Naval Academy grad, and we, uh, actually it was my second platoon, and he and my platoon commander had nominated me for a program, for a commissioning program, hmm. but generally that program was, it was really designed for minorities, and as a oh. you know, blue-eyed white guy, I didn't really get picked up, and that was the only time I ever really considered it. And the other side of it was because in, in the SEAL teams, as an enlisted guy, being able to deploy to do your job is the pinnacle of what you want to do. So I was able to deploy 14 times,
2: yeah.
1: um, the deployments from six to 11 months. Then the the n- normal officer career path will have them deploy five, you know, four to six times at the most. Any average enlisted Career paths, guys deploy six to seven times. So I was able to really get um I was able to get my money's worth and they were able to get their pound of flesh.
0: Gotcha. Wow, that's different. I didn't know I didn't realize, you know, it makes sense when you say it, but I didn't realize there was that much of a difference between officers versus enlisted. But now I guess it does make sense. Well it does the, seem it does seem like there's a lot of senior enlisted that are deploying. Mm-hmm. I don't, but you don't see the senior officers deploying They're They're over there well, the they do now. or whatever. Oh, do they really?
1: When okay. when I was a young guy in the teams, we would have a platoon 14 to 16 guys go to a operational commander, like third fleet or not third fleet, fifth fleet or seventh fleet. We would deploy forward to a theater commander and then okay. later. So command theater commanders as well. Um, okay. So we yeah. would deploy to those guys. And then after nine 11, we started to whole command deployments. So the commanding officer, XO, everybody deployed. But that's on a two-year cycle. So mm-hmm. the, where it used to be an enlisted guy, I could go come back home from a deployment. When I was in SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 1, as a primary pilot, platoons wanted a primary pilot, somebody could drive the boat. So I could get out of one platoon and go right into another. One. And I took advantage of that. Yeah. And then when I was in SEAL Team 3, we had a lot of chiefs that were in training department and they were uh, kind of landlocked so as a chief at seal team three i was able to deploy another six times wow which was great so you can you know if you're willing to raise your hand and say i'll do it there was a lot of opportunity there are officers that have had seven, eight deployments there are other enlisted guys that had it, as many i knew a couple of guys that had more deployments than i did so it, it was all it's really up to the individual yeah,
0: what did you like most about deploying? It's probably hard to answer that question because maybe each uh, one is it's easier different. to answer.
1: What I didn't like because I missed my family and I missed home when I was gone all the time. I averaged two hundred fifty to three hundred days a year gone for my first twenty three years. And and you had that, a
0: family during this time?
1: Three three kids that still I wow. they, they think they know my name. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it was that was the tough part. And it was a sacrifice and I told them daughters, and I told my girls, you know, early on, you know, the country should really be thanking you and not me because you didn't have a choice. I did. But the good thing about deploying is if you want to take your skill sets and put them to work, you, you don't do it at home. You do it out there. So the best way to do that is be out there. So I deployed everywhere. I didn't go to South America. I didn't go to Europe. But I went to, uh, well, I did, do, I did a tour of Bosnia, so I guess I did do some Europe stuff. No
0: South America, wow.
1: No South America. I did get a great deployment to East Timor, another great deployment to Bosnia, which was one of my more fun deployments because we were so busy. And then at Team 3, our area of operation at the time was the Middle East, so all of those deployments were the Middle East. And then at Team 7, we were at war, so it was a racket against it. And all of my tours at seven were to Iraq. Even though at one point we had a task unit, a task element a team in Afghanistan. And and those guys were absolute warriors. So that 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 task unit, which I did not get to join in that deployment, was full of some of the best seals in our history.
0: What was that task unit called?
1: Uh, well, three, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was it, I, I know the guys, but I don't have the permission to get their names out right now. If I did, I
0: just their social security
1: numbers. Yeah, socials names, check just account, just checking account numbers. <laughs> uh, but, but that task was full of um, some of the most phenomenal SEALs ever. Even though the guys in Iraq were equally as good, they didn't have the opportunities, nor did they have a leadership that would take gloves off, and let them get to work like the guys in Afghanistan.
0: Is it is it is there a lot of competitiveness in this in the teams, like between each other? Uh who's, yeah, who's, who's more of a badass? Or, it's it's or,
1: brotherly. I mean the East Coast or sure. West Coast. Yeah. You know, the West Coast guys are smarter, <laughs> um, generally much better looking and don't mind having the sun day. You know, the East Coast guys, yeah, they're fat. They they do <laughs> yeah. live in caves, but they uh they do okay.
0: Yeah, they do okay. <laughs> That's funny. Seems like you have to have a sense of humor to do that job. Well, my goodness. If you
1: don't, then you're going to be in the nut house.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well, you seem like you came out of it okay. Jeez, you seem like you're normal. I mean, if you well, were I just so, walking though. around Costco, I would think you're like a normal guy.
1: Well, that's the but whole idea.
0: Yeah. And the idea, too, right. when
1: you're in teams is you want to be that guy as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, if you could go back, would you do it all again?
1: Well, I'd love to, because if I knew now, I'd make a lot fewer mistakes. Yeah. You know, you what you would you do now. differently?
0: Well,
1: oh, there, are, there are a lot of leadership decisions that I made along the way that I regret. Um, some mm. of them, I, that were, there are a couple that were really tough decisions yeah. that were not very popular that I would still make again. Mm. But there's, you know, there's always something that you wish you could have done a little different. And, and yeah. sure, I'd love to. Wouldn't we all?
0: Uh, What rank were you when 9-11
1: happened? 9-11 happened when I was a chief, and I literally just got back from a deployment overseas where the majority of the deployment was working against um, smuggling vessels coming out of the shuttle, out of Iraq. So we were taking down smuggling vessels, oil mostly, other cargo for months, it was a great deployment. I think like 80 or 90 of these vessels that we captured and gave over to the Navy for NATO to do with what they would. And then I got back on September 4th or 5th, something like that. And I was at home, at home on post-deployment leave when I watched 9-11 on the news like most Americans did. And then got a phone call the next week, started packing up. 21 days later, we were in the Sierra Leone putting together a task force. cable.
0: And then you went into Afghanistan in 2001?
1: We right? were in Afghanistan in 2001. And I left in 2002 okay. and task, task Force KBAR. We handed over to the next group and we were gone.
0: Tell us what K- was, KBAR was. Was that the initial...
1: Uh, uh, there route, were a few route, different route. task units. We were the joint um, combined special operations task group. So. Task Force. So we had all of the foreign special operations teams under our command. Hmm. So we had—I think there was a representative representation, of like 30 nations. But there were six or seven that really did all the the all the jobs. So we were working with all the different countries' national mission forces. Their tier one assets, and they were all good. The I mean, soldiering was good. We got to we got to get the Germans out on the first real world operations since world war ii outside of germany wow and the, yeah the ksk guys they did great good kids good soldiers uh, enjoyed it got to work with the new zealanders tough as nails as you would expect because they'll tell you they are <laughs> you know the canadians <laughs> were great the the uh, the dutch were good the, all of them all, all the uh, foreign operators were good operators
0: was that the first and time so you worked there, with the dutch foreign operators for sure. Pardon me? Was that the first time you had worked with foreign operators at that time?
1: No, uh, not nobody had ever worked at that level where we were all under one hat. And we were under our, our Commodore from the West Coast, who's still a friend of mine. He was the guy that put it all together and made it happen. So it was incredible. And then when we got out there, we actually put our flag under General Mattis' flag mm-hmm. at Air Base Rhino in Afghanistan. did a push north through, um, through Zagreb into through Kandahar into Bagham Air Force Base. And once we took that, we settled it all out and we were, uh, we were all over the place, operating everywhere.
0: So you were there at the beginning and you saw how it ended um, last year. Do you have any comments about that?
1: Uh, it, I've got a lot where I could really get uh, a lot of expletives in it, but it was a, it was a disappointment to say the least. We left we left a network of intelligence there that took 20 years to build that we'll never be able to regain. And that network of intelligence didn't just hit Afghanistan, that gave us a um, network into Iran, networking into the whole Caspian basin. We we had a massive network that was facilitated through Afghanistan that we just abandoned. And all of those people that were working for us in those countries. We hung them out to dry. So we, we as a nation, we said, oh, we're leaving. And then we packed up and left Americans there. And all of those that supported us overtly and covertly, in, in, in my humble opinion, we committed mass murder. Uh, so it was, it was not a good exit. And, and, you know, you and I don't know the classified side of the exit strategy. There may be, I may be wrong on a number of counts. There, but, but I I doubt it. Right. And you know, hopefully there was a classified exit strategy that makes a lot of sense and is put together very well, but we won't know that.
0: Yeah. That's well said. Uh I think that's well said on everything you said. Um you're very restrained.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, when we I talk about you have to in chief, you bet.
0: <laughs> you're a master chief. You you're you're used to being what's it like being a master chief i'm sorry i'm jumping around a lot but i mean do do you have to you're working with the senior officers and stuff you have to be restrained but also like you you have to like
1: unleash hell sometimes don't you (laughs) you know the teams because it's not master chief it's larry most of the time and and the teams you're working with people that are so unbelievably capable you never forget that that junior brand new guy yeah. although he's a loose cannon and needs to, be to put a cork in his bottle more often than not is <laughs> probably more capable than I'll ever be. So um, when you've got people that are all more capable and smarter than you, everywhere you look, you have to keep that in mind because you're not, you're not giving orders. You're shaping something. Yeah. You, you don't want you. to give orders. You want to open the door with invitations wow. and that's different than the rest of the military. You know, yeah. when I went to the Naval, when I went to the, the um, Navy War College and was teaching at the Senior Enlisted Academy in the Navy War College, it was really difficult for me to be called Master Chief for one. Hmm. And two, to watch my peers be angry, mean, nasty people. <laughs> it just didn't, because that was the reputation they thought they had to fulfill. Because in the teams, if somebody doesn't like you, it doesn't matter where they are in the hierarchy, it doesn't bode well for you.
0: Yeah. Because it makes the most sense the
1: important thing there is your reputation as an operator nothing else right and how, me, how is that a, as,
0: how is that established your reputation as an operator
1: everybody yeah. watches everybody yeah. and, you, and you know
0: there's it's not be it's not on paper in other words it's not on paper it's by mm-hmm. reputation by word of mouth
1: right yeah. and there's disgruntled postal workers along the way and you'll have your fights and your infighting. but yeah for me as an operator at stdv's I was really good. Uh, The regular SEAL teams, I was average. I didn't mind being average as as a leader because I was able to go to a lot of different places. I was given a lot of latitudes along the way. So the interaction as a master chief with the officers and the the team was very peer-like unless it needed not to be. And that's you. That was my job to know when that was and step it up a little bit.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, you were in Afghanistan in 2001, and uh, did you go back to Afghanistan after
1: that? I did not. Okay. My subsequent deployments were all to Iraq.
0: How many deployments did you do to Iraq then?
1: Uh, Total of well, five and one.
0: Five. Wow. So five,
1: five to Iraq and one to Afghanistan.
0: So you spent years in Iraq, really? I mean, well, yeah, you, what, you two, at two, two years,
1: something like that? Mm-hmm. Two, two and a half years. One of those was a uh, staff support deployment, which nobody wants to do, but you have to do them.
0: Tell and us what that... Yeah. What's that like, being a staff support?
1: Well, you're in a, uh, your special operations um, command and control center.
0: Is it is an
1: operations center or or is it a building?
0: Is it a building you're in? Is it a tent? One was a tent. One was a real nice building.
1: But they, you know, we because we moved. Mm -hmm. But it's you're just supporting operations all over the place, and your job is to to do your desk job and give them arms, equipment, food, logistics, combat support, legal support, everything they need to do to get their job done. So you're just part of that staff. Okay. A ballast.
0: Were you a senior chief at the time? Oh uh, yeah. um, <clears throat> well, this is uh this is a huge sacrifice. Uh I mean I mean it sounds like you made the best of it, but um at at this time at, during two thousand one, did you have a family at that time? Did you have kids and stuff oh i did what's that yeah i did my you girls did. were
1: all born in the 80s so oh, i had okay. i had teenage daughters during the war and and at one point i had full custody of them as a single dad but my mom lived mm. close okay so they were my mom's more often than not and that really helped out a lot but the other you know, girls were tough and resilient and uh, they didn't like it they still don't like it but we're, we're all good
0: What do you think about the VA support for veterans um, in terms of medical, psychology, all that stuff?
1: Well, the uh, VA, when I was retiring, I qualified for 100% military disability. So for medical, there's medical TRICARE, which got all hacked up by Obamacare. Yes. And then then there's the VA, if you're disabled, I could get all my medical there. So I just recently switched from the VA. Uh, the VA in San Diego is train wrecked, and here's why. The, uh, the medical professionals, doctors, uh, physicians, assistants, nursing staff, they're fantastic. The bureaucracy to get to them yeah. is a nightmare. And, yeah. I, and I'm formidable when it comes to going and getting something that I deserve. And my biggest angst with the VA, and I I would love to wave a flag and be the secretary of the VA. Uh, (laughs) My angst is, let's say there's an E3 or E4 Marine who got out because he got his legs blown off. And these people treat him poorly and he treats them respectfully and takes whatever they give him and doesn't fight for himself. And there's no patient advocacy in the VA that's big enough and strong enough in and around San Diego. Now, when I moved out kentucky where i'm at now the va supports fantastic and that's because the people here are just that much more patriotic even still i've transferred back over to tricare because it works better for my medical stuff but i'm still paying because tricare was supposed to be free when i signed up if you do 20 you get medical for life now i'm paying a pretty hefty premium it's managed by humana um that doesn't make a lot of sense but that was all part of obamacare and they they shifted a lot of money around to make big healthcare providers and big pharmaceuticals a payday like nobody else, and mm-hmm. that's why they're in their hip pocket. So politically, I don't like the the VA being used or TriCare or the veterans being used as political pawns, but because of the money that works, we always will be.
0: Yeah. So larry <laughs> i've been calling you master chief because i can't help it i mean like as soon as someone said you were a master chief i was like okay i can't help it man it's in my dna i can't, do it. I can't help um i uh i appreciate you being so forthright about and sharing everything so joy joyfully about all this stuff because you've been through more hardship than um Ninety-nine percent of people I know—that's for sure—as far as your career goes, anyway. And um, we're we're wondering, what do you do for a living now? Do you, I mean, do you just do you do anything for fun or money?
1: <laughs> I do. Um, one of the things I I do for money is I'm a consultant to a maritime logistics company out of San Diego. Cool. I was one of their offshore logistics vessel captains. Cause so I've got my 200 ton rating, which is, I love driving boats. So that's fun. And then the, you know, now I coordinate their military uh, training support and a lot of their military work. I work with shipyards and stuff. Now I can do that remotely from Kentucky and it doesn't really take a lot of my time. So the rest of the time I've got horses. Oh, cool. Who I talk to nightly. Yeah. Love, love the boys. Nice. And obviously the small arm stuff where I get to support Vanguard training and I support him as a range safety officer. I love the small arms training. I've got a range in my backyard.
0: No kidding. You lucky dog. That's awesome. So you're, so you have a you have, you can go step out your backyard and
1: shoot. We're in the kitchen and behind me is a tree with a target on it. So I literally can walk out of the kitchen and go there. But I've got to walk a few hundred yards down to where the where the range is, where I've got some metal targets set up, and wow. I mean I've got sixty acres, so I can wow. Do it all. How cool is that? It's That's awesome. Awesome,
0: <laughs> yeah. And Kentucky is beautiful. I've I've driven through that state, and I I was shocked. Like I I grew up in Colorado, and I didn't uh, visit Kentucky till I was in my twenties. I couldn't believe like how awesome it was, like just. Fields and trees and horses. I'm 10 minutes
1: from one of the biggest lakes in the state. I've got a boat in the front yard. And then I'm 20 minutes away from the largest cave complex in the world. Wow, really? There's just, there's no end to what's cool about Kentucky.
0: Yeah. That's really, so what's the connection with Kentucky? Did you grow up? You didn't grow up there. You went, you grew up in. No, I was
1: getting sick of California, even though I grew up there. So sure. I, I went to, I've been to every state in the union and then I took a, a couple of years ago, I hopped on my motorcycle and drove through all of the Southern states and came back through the middle States. And it was, it came up between Kentucky and Tennessee and Tennessee. I mean, there's some really beautiful areas around Chattanooga, just gorgeous countryside, yeah. good course country. yes. But Tennessee was kind of like, it would be a self-looking ice cream cone for me. Everybody politically thinks the same way I do. Everybody. Mm -hmm. The whole state bleeds red, white, and blue. They're all conservative. Um, They're all First Amendment, Second Amendment people. They understand the Tenth Amendment, and they hold onto it very strongly. Kentucky is a very red state with a blue governor, and it reminds me of California 35 years
2: ago.
1: Mm. I'd rather come here and join the fight, Mm. because I know where it's going if they stay on this track. So I'm getting a little more active here um, after the primaries. I get a lot more active here, but I think it's a, I think I bring something to the table in that I watched this happen in California. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing the indicators here that we can stop now. So I'd rather yeah. I, that was the difference. The difference was go join a fight. It's a little bit more my style. So that
0: makes a lot of sense. Wow, that's very strategic. I'm glad to hear that. What's the connection with horses? Uh, did you grow up with horses? Horse.
1: No, I, I, later? I, <laughs> so uh, an, an ex-wife's cousin was a horse person and we started visiting them and then moved out to east san diego county and got a little eight acre ranch and i got my first horse um, dutch who's still my boy now and then you know years later we broke up but i was already at it i love them i was in a pretty good horse club and I've learned a awful lot about moving cattle with horses, which could be high speed fun or low speed fun. Spent a lot of time with the, sit with the saddlebags full of beer out the trail, having a great time. So I enjoy not just horses, but the culture of people around. So that's, I'm hooked. Got three boys and they're, they're good, good horses.
0: That's awesome. When you, so you do some firearm instruction Mm-hmm. what's the um what's the approach you take with firearm instruction what do you hope that people get out of it people are interested well, the in that.
1: first thing is to not be afraid of firearms that's you know number one is they're nothing to fear and then number two is don't get sophisticated don't get complicated stick to the basics because the basics are you know Olympic champs are the best at the basics of anybody in the world at any sport. So why go beyond it trying to find out the next Annie Oakley trick shot? It's just not yeah. going to work. Yeah. So stick to the basics. Enjoy what you're doing. Know what a gun is and what it is not. And make it part of your own personal culture. Make it part of your ethos. So that's really the, the big message. Wow.
0: And what kind of, what, what, what occurs in firearm training? If, if someone's listening to this in the future and is wondering, all right, well, I'm going to try this out. What can, what can they expect? What they should they expect?
1: Well, with, with, with our team, because you, have, you, you've inter- interviewed Desiree. Yes. That's right. She a phenomenal instructor. I mean, she, you should, you should great. sit through one of her classes. I, I, I thought the guys in SEAL teams were the best instructors ever. Until I saw her give a class, that was is just that right? she's, wow. Well, she's calming. She's dialed in. She's very yes, smart. Yes, she is. Yeah, yeah. And so that's really, um, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. So getting people in a comfort zone starts in the classroom, hmm. and then taking them out to a range and teaching them that, that loud noise isn't something to be afraid of, is a matter of uh, connection, and yes. individually connecting with people from all makes, models, and cover colors of humans. So that's the the most rewarding part of it and the toughest part. I hope I answered your question. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. Uh, you, you have a professional, uh, knowledge and experience of many different types of firearms. Um, I'm sure you encountered all sorts of things in the field that, uh, people don't see in gun stores here. Um, and, You're familiar with how to break down, clean, use, put them back together. Um, When you, when you got out of the Navy and find yourself in a situation where there's a political movement to really, I think, to disarm people like normal people, what do you think about that? Do you think that, yeah, I'll just let you answer. What do you think about. That And if, well, if I, I mischaracterized I, it, feel free to.
1: No, uh, you're, you're right. And it's a complex question because this is one of those, hey, wake up America. And if you look at the movement, the, the left progressive movement that's out there trying to take away our firearms, mm-hmm. um, Hitler wrote that playbook on his book, Mein Kampf, while he was in prison. And if you look at the progressive left, you've read Mein Kampf, you've seen their playbook. So what we're doing is we're being attacked by modern day Nazism, uh, disarm, take over the education system, take over the economy, make national socialism, which is you know, Nazi translated or democratic socialism, a political movement that really only empowers a few and disenfranchises quite a few more. So it's a, it's a good model to take over a country or to destroy a republic and the Democrats, the left, have embraced that model taken away our firearms, and the Second Amendment's very clear, shall not be infringed, is being infringed everywhere.
0: As we record this, this is uh, August uh, uh, 11th, August 11th, 2022. The US Senate is considering a so-called assault weapons ban and a so-called large capacity magazine ban that passed the house i believe now i don't i haven't read the house version so i don't know if it's like the california stuff that we saw Uh, i don't know if you recall that but oh i did yeah so it's not clear what's going to happen on the senate side um as a a retired special warfare operator united states navy Uh, 30 years um larry what do you think about civilians having so-called assault weapons well there's no such
1: thing as an assault weapon they're all assault weapons i mean if you look at uh, you know mass murder mass killings mass shootings the big thing lately in the press because they're horrific and they're shocking yeah and there's been about 200 people killed since 1990 since 2000 in mass shootings, maybe closer to 200 now. So mass shootings, 200 people killed. Last year, 350 people were, or more than 350 people were killed with hammers. So why don't we ban assault hammers? With hammers? (laughs) With hammers. So we don't need to really identify assault weapons. It's a matter of they're much more dynamic when they're used because of the loud noise, and they've got political horsepower. And so all a shooting is versus a hammering is political horsepower and the left has figured it out. And they're swaying people by the constant rhetoric and a very unified and very loyal to the cause message. But there's no such thing. Now, all of the laws are being constantly tried. I'm not worried about it. We've got three branches of government for a reason. And the legislative branch can go against the Constitution all they want, because eventually there will be a case that shall not be infringed, will be looked at yet again. Yeah. And it will side on the side of the Constitution. So, you know, we have to be patient with that. But people have to vote. and They have to vote correctly. That's right. yeah. I so agree I'm not that. too, too worried. And even in California, I, I never had a permit of any sort in California. And I would carry a weapon anytime I wanted to, because mm-hmm. my thought was real simple. Arrest me, let's go to court. Let's get this in front of the Supreme Court. If you want to take it that far, I'm willing to go. And I would implore more Americans out there. Uh don't don't get a permit. If you want to carry a firearm, that's your constitutional right. And the second amendment's your gun permit. Get out.
0: Wow. I think you might have just given us the title for this whole episode there, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, well, um, you when you carry. When you carried like that in california um hmm. i think it'd be interesting to t- uh, to say a bit a little bit more about that can you give us an idea of how you're carrying it and and how small a weapon is this is this a big gun it's not like a desert eagle you're walking around with in your back no. pocket right so what so rarely carry? would i
1: really rarely would i carry because guns cause as many problems as they solve mm-hmm. and, and that's you know I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with just my hands and me and i'm also pretty comfortable avoiding something or seeing it coming yeah you know, nobody gets into a fight they don't see coming or rarely do they get in a fight they don't see coming so what i would carry would be when it's an unknown area or something and i would carry usually the small eye back usually a smaller nine.
0: okay something like a do you want to say what
1: oh i've got a um I've got this beautiful Ruger uh, 9.5. I don't even think they make them anymore, but it's a real nice pistol. I've had it for a long time, so that's my go-to.
0: Yeah, I think I know what it looks like. Is it from like the 90s? Seems like I used to see those in the 90s a lot. Yeah. Um, Are you a a 1911 guy, a Glock guy? I have to ask these questions because people are going to be wondering.
1: Um, I should ask you what kind of motorcycle you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do have a motorcycle. I don't have a 95. <laughs> I, I think they're great, wonderful history in that pistol. And it's a, it's a beautiful pistol. I, I think every good American family should have one. But it's just not for me. Seven rounds is enough. Yeah, gotcha. I, like, I like a lot of rounds. Glocks. Okay. Glocks are durable. They're accessible. They're, everybody has them. So, yeah, they're pretty common. Great firearm. I don't have one. I mean, the last pistol I just got was a revolver. It was a Smith and Wesson 357 Magnum with God seven rounds. You. It's the coolest thing ever.
0: <laughs> God bless you. Does it have a Hillary hole?
1: <laughs> does Maybe. it got one of those? Things? You
0: know, the, yeah. the new ones have the little lock, or is no, it a classic it one? Oh, it's got
1: a cl- it's a classic one. Oh, yeah. And then on uh, on rifles, so I had some gas operated guns, and then when I retired. I, I too, I sold them and I got lever-action guns because they look cooler. So I went from the AR-ish to a Henry forty-four forty and a, a Marlin four-fifty. Wow, forty-five seventy round—that's a big goonster. Forty-five seventy, yeah. Yeah, the Marlin. So, yeah, you know, and I'm just as comfortable defending my home with those as I was thirty-round magazine because I've got a lot of them and there's lots of rounds. So, yeah,
0: yeah. it's easy. So you're kind of going back in time you're You're going back like you're going back to like the revolver time and then the lever action time
1: well the, you know the photo I want my grandkids to see of me is the one with me sitting on my horse with my rifle in its scabbard and yeah. the seal trident on the saddle and on the scabbard that's cool yeah, so cool picture
0: it is cool uh now in terms of uh uh shooting in the in your backyard. Uh, I know ammo is really expensive. Do you do a lot of shooting or do you conserve ammo? It's
1: not, it's it's not as expensive here in Kentucky and there's a lot of it. So I could shoot all I want.
0: Well, how much ammo should people have? You think,
1: you know, it depends on what you're comfortable with. I I think every household should have a handgun and a couple of magazines. And then Mm -hmm. if you want to expand from there, it's your hobby. It's, I mean, that's, That's why the Constitution said you can. Yeah, And they don't tell you what you can or can't. In fact, I think the only legislation that was ever really written on type and amount was um, in the 1790s, where it was you can have at least one musket. And at least like 70 bullets, 70 rounds of ammunition. So there was never a max. There was just a minimum in law. And that was because those people were considered part of their state militias. Yeah. Can we go back to the families? I mean, yeah, we can't tell people how many you can have. You can have all you want.
0: So it's kind of like horses. I mean, <clears throat> there's no law against how many horses you can have. It's how many you can afford and, right. and have well, responsibly. You can, it
1: responsibly. It's like anything else. You can get stupid with it. I know people that have too many horses and the horses get neglected and they don't get used. Uh, there are people that have too many firearms because they don't get used. They get neglected. They roster. They, you know, they don't get taken care of. And most of those folks who've got these ridiculous inventories don't know how to use them all effectively. And I always right. look at the part of the Second Amendment that says states can have their own militias, their citizen militias. And, you know, who knows if we ever get back? to that. I know right now, if Texas wanted to solve the border crisis, it would be very simple. We'll form a state militia here you know, and, and have ammunition for everybody that shows up. And we'd have two million Texans on the border in about five minutes. So, you know, that, that state militia clause will always be viable and it will always be feared by the left so they'll just accuse you alone. of
0: racism they'll say yeah there's two million white people you mean and they're trying to keep the brown people out that's what they'll say
1: well if you want to go if you want to go down that road i, I i've got an idea <laughs> so years ago i wrote an article about um, redistribution of instead of redistributing for the wealth redistribution of arms hmm. and at the time california was confiscating 15 16,000 firearms a year from criminals and California destroys them, which is criminal as far as I'm concerned. Yes.
2: Yeah. So my
1: thought was to go into high crime, lower income, minority neighborhoods <laughs> and take people that are law-abiding citizens that can't defend their homes. And yeah. every police precinct has an armorer. Every police precinct has range safety officers, officers and firearms instructors. And every good police precinct knows the neighborhood. So get people in the neighborhood Moms, dads, that, grandparents, aunts, uncles that want to go through a basic handgun course, develop a basic proficiency, then arm them with a confiscated weapon and give them a reasonable loadout to protect their homes. Crime would go down exponentially overnight and it would become a force multiplier for the police because law enforcement doesn't show up usually during a crime. They show up after it's a big mess. Yeah. So I, and I socialized this uh, then. This was a few years ago. I socialized with Bishop McKinney in San Diego, Pentecostal black priest, uh, big leader in the San Diego Pentecostal community. He what's, his name, forward,
0: what's his name again? Uh, George McKinney. George McKinney. OK.
1: I believe his son has taken over his uh, church. Great guy. Very humble. Very smart. Brilliant American. And I really think that we could take cities like Chicago, Detroit, Louisville, Kentucky, where they've got high crime rates in black neighborhoods. Yeah. There's a lot of good folks in those neighborhoods that are not criminals. They can't afford a firearm. Or, well, like in the case of Chicago, it's so regulated they can't get what they need to protect their own home. Right. Well, let's arm train and equip those folks and let them protect their own home. Wow.
0: Huh. but i'm a racist
1: so you gotta be careful yeah, yeah yeah
0: well so if i was committed uh just a priori to calling you a racist larry how would i work that out i would i would figure something out and so that's really good i love that redistribution well of if, you, if
1: you wanted to call me a racist and you wanted, you know twist it like pick a cnn reporter it would be really yeah. easy because those guns are going to land in the hands of criminals
0: yeah, they would say, you just want black people to shoot each other. That's what you want. Right. And I would
1: just go back to Chicago and say, well, it's happening at 40 to 50 a weekend right now. Mm. So why don't we give the law abiding citizens that are victims an ability to defend themselves?
0: Yeah. And yeah. I'd love to have that debate. Hear, hear. That was Otis McDonald, the plaintiff in uh, McDonald versus Chicago. That was a major Supreme Court decision in 2010. That was a guy from Chicago. He's black. Yeah. He wanted to have a gun city of chicago said no you have to wait for the police otis chicago, otis mcdonald said that just sounds wrong to me i don't yeah. even think he was a republican i think he was just a guy that wanted a gun in california and in, in chicago and the nra actually paid for his lawsuit and it went Good. all it got denied you know going up the supreme court took it right after the heller decision And that's the that's the major decision that everybody looks at. And, uh, you know, it's funny.
1: He's he's probably not a Republican or a Democrat. He's the most formidable thing in our country. And that's a neighbor with conviction.
0: Yeah. He had to be. I mean, he had he had to have tremendous courage. I can't imagine going up against the city of Chicago, which had like, I don't know. I think they spent like a million dollars to to keep him from having a gun. It's that's a really interesting. I've never heard anybody say that that idea there, uh, Larry, about redistribution of arms. That's really interesting, um, because yeah, you're right. So when they confiscate an uh, a gun for some reason, it's some bureaucratic reason, and it get, ends up in an evidence locker or whatever it is. It doesn't sit there forever. It, it just like it's so different than like a car or a house or anything else. Any normal item would be auctioned off and it would go back to private hands. Right. Because it's understood this is a valuable, this is something valuable. You don't just destroy a
1: car. You know, no, they, they do that in Kentucky. They have um, public sales. Yeah. But so in California, why they don't destroy we do that guns? Them. Yeah. They, why don't they, they, they destroy
0: it? They- it's, so why is that wrong? If, if someone's wondering, why is it wrong for the police to destroy the guns? Why is that wrong? You think.
1: Well, if you took a, the mod, take a look at the model that I'm proposing, mm-hmm. you're taking a firearm and a means to protect a law abiding family. It's
0: valuable. And you're throwing it
1: away. That's, yeah. that's why it's wrong.
0: Yeah. I think it's wrong, too, because some of those firearms are historic relics and mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they're valuable for historic reasons, too. Sometimes they're, they're in bad the historical shape. Historical
1: value is cool.
0: It is cool. It's, and it's, think it's of, valuable for training kids, too, about the history of their, their country.
1: and The, the role of Compton, arms. You know, Compton and California. Yeah. Shootings daily. California destroys 15 to 16,000 firearms a year. They just took one year and redistributed those in Compton to law abiding citizens and good families so they can defend themselves, crime would drop, drug distribution would drop, human trafficking would drop. All of those things would drop and they would drop significantly within one year. Sure, it's only theory what I'm saying, but it makes so much sense. But it also takes sure. power and control of those people and the way they vote away from them. Yeah, because they're fending for themselves.
0: Well, and and the last also, thing
1: yeah. that Nazi regime wants are people that aren't dependent on National Socialism or the government.
0: I'm reading a really good book called, and you maybe have read it too. It sounds like you might have read it already. Uh, called, oh geez, I had the guy on the podcast, Stephen Hallbrook. Um, gun control in the Third Reich is what the book is called. It's really. I haven't good. read it. Oh man, it- you'd love it. It's, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's exactly what you're talking about. Gun. It's called gun control in the third Reich and Stephen Hallbrook wrote it. We had him on the podcast. Um, Cool. He, he he's a PhD and a JD and he won two times before the U S Supreme court. One, one was a gun case. Actually, I think they're both gun cases. Hey, my
1: battery's running low. So let me go grab a plug in to plug it in.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll put this on pause. (sighs) Okay. I got that book that I was just referring to called gun control in the third Reich by Stephen Hallbrook, who was on the podcast uh, a few months ago. Um, And it's, it's a legit book. I mean, guys got a PhD. It's got all sorts of scholars and on the back that are saying it's legit. And I, I, um, I'm reading and it's, it's richly footnoted and the footnotes, I cannot read most of them because they're in German. And, and, and so he's, he's, he's engaging the primary sources in German. I think he had a translator that he, uh, I don't think he reads German himself, but he's had it. He hired a translator. It's based on the archives in, uh, in Germany. So there's, there's actual, you know, legitimate scholarship behind what, uh, the master chief is saying, uh, about national socialism. And I like the way that you said national socialism, cause it was national socialism back in the third Reich. Um, so that, that's, that's an ironic thing, Larry, uh, about being called a racist for the views that you have or, or people, you know, uh, views I might have that have nothing to do with racism. And actually it's, it's, totally the opposite of what real racists have done i mean you're you're saying no we should do the opposite of what these guys did these guys had a national firearms registry uh mm-hmm. it ended in disaster it ended in total disaster people couldn't defend themselves from just ordinary crime let alone um tyrannical movements and local government so um
1: well part of that Part of that Mein Kampf playbook, too, is identifying a focus of hate because hate's such a good motivator. And you know, 23% of Germany believed in Nazism, but they got them to hate so vehemently and so violently against Jews that it was a collective motivator. So the left, using you know, Mein Kampf, the Democrat playbook, they identify who to hate. Who do they hate right now? Well, anybody that's from a Republican, anybody that's a middle income or above white person. Anybody that exists to free the people and take the power away from the government. And then they've just got a playbook of of very loyal sound bites that say you are a racist, a misogynist, a homophobe, this, that, the other thing. Right,
0: right. right. When the reality of
1: it is, we have a First Amendment that says I can say and think whatever I want. (laughs) But they're trying to diminish that right to freedom of speech as well. You know, the First Amendment's protected by the Second Amendment. So to get rid of one, you have to get rid of the other.
0: Yeah. They go together. That's true. I'm gonna make a link, uh, connect an idea that that Larry just said. That was developed on the last guy we had on. I haven't posted it yet. Oh, actually, no, I did post it. Sorry, it is. It's up on YouTube, uh, where we had Chuck Michelle, the president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, who's won in federal court. Uh, he a lot of his cases are now First Amendment cases. If you can believe that. So he says the same thing. He says the first and second amendment, they tend to be attacked by the same groups. And um, I love that how you said that. You said the second amendment, I, I'm going to screw it up. You said the second amendment protects the first amendment. And I think it's the other way around, too, because it's the first amendment that protects the second amendment, which is what we're doing here. We're talking. And, right. um, that's that's a huge part of it, because I think there's a lot of you're in Kentucky, which is sort of purplish in some ways. Would you say there's a lot of reasonable people there that can be persuaded? I mean, they're not all. The people on the other side are not all crazy, right? There's some people that have reasonable they can be reasoned with. Right. You could you could float well, an idea. That's going to be the,
1: the 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 tactic that I want to employ. It's going to be after the primaries. When we get started on this is literally I want to reach into uh, and figure out the right mechanism politically, reach into inner city Louisville because we only have a blue governor because of Louisville, Lexington, and Bowling Green, Kentucky because hmm. they have urban centers that are, have Democrat leaders that have been there forever. Like the sheriff of Louisville has been there for 20 years yeah, and he's not going away anytime soon. Crime rate there is three, three and a half times the national average. So I want to find a way to go into city center Louisville and say, hey, I'm gonna offer free firearms training, basic oh, firearms wow. training for wow. inner city folks that can pass a background check. So they're law abiding citizens. And Kentucky is a very easy to get firearm state. So we're, we're gonna take that shot and see if we can't start empowering people. Because one thing, you know, as really a Republican, good. there's a few losses in our party, but with the biggest loss we have in our party <coughs> is a. Um, Constitutional based recruiting plan. Right. Not all Democrats are left wing socialist Nazi right. jack wagons. A yeah. lot of them are just good folks whose yes. parents were Democrats. That's right. A lot That's of them right. are Kennedy Democrats. Yes. Uh, a lot of them vote because they only watch CNN and they're only influenced one way, right. but they've got good sense of reason about them or a sense of patriotism. So, right. as a Republican, we don't have a big strategic plan targeting those people. We have a plan targeting independence now there's yeah. a lot of democrats of all makes and models and colors that see sense and reason and freedom as sense and reason and freedom so you know we need to start recruiting and yeah that's, that's really good my contribution to the cause is going to be here's what i want to do
0: do you have that in in the works is that actually going to happen you think i do
1: i've got a, a a friend of mine's running for congress up in wisconsin he's going to win and his part of his campaign team is a very um is he a seal
0: he is like i got a text message from him like a couple of weeks ago i you know it's obviously not his number but you know i i was like how Jared did you get Orton? this number but i recognized him because I saw him, he was an actor in a movie, right? He was in a, Yeah, he did one movie. movie. He actually did a good
1: job. He did a, a, he did a a good movie.
0: job. When I was watching it, I was like, I think that guy w- probably was active
1: duty at some point. Like real, really. He because was like, I could just tell with me. So he was one of our tasking chiefs. I was command master chief. We got back from the deployment. And since we were the ones that were on downtime and this movie had been approved for like 10 years, all team 7 guys were the actors in the movie.
0: You know, I could tell. I could just totally tell. I was like, there's something different about this movie. I they they don't
1: feel like actors to me.
0: Yeah. I don't and know Derek what it was. I can't describe it. Yeah. He didn't
1: yeah, I think he kept the same beard he had in the deployment from movie. Huh.
0: That's where I see it took me forever to figure out where I where I recognized
1: him from. And he has it, a certain yeah, way he talks, talk. Very very strong patriot. Oh, good. And that's good. And like most team guys, very live and let live. Yeah, he wants everybody to have a First Amendment, whether he agrees with them or not.
2: Hmm.
0: Do you uh, do you ever follow Dan Crenshaw? On,
1: I do. On- He's been a little disappointing lately, but you know. <laughs>
0: It seems like whenever yeah, they he, get in he, office they get they get disappointing, but I don't know if that's what you're talking about. But yeah, um you mean the no, red flag laws? Or are you talking about red flag laws or something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, he's um he's got a charisma to him, so he's very popular. Yep. And he wasn't in the teams very long. He got beat up on his first deployment. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so that was a shame. Yep. I, I don't think anybody should be allowed into Congress under 40 years of age. <laughs> Cause if, once you're in the you house, change that. Well, when you go, when you're young and yeah. you're in a position of influence yeah. and power influences, and then somebody like Danny, who's got a lot of charisma to him, they want him singing their song, whoever the they is. Yeah. So he's been influenced and, and he'll grow out of it and he'll, he'll snap into his own shoes soon enough and then he'll be fine.
0: I listen to his podcast sometimes. Um, I I think for Republicans in Congress that are um, young like him, he's well, the reason I bring him up is because he has this one interview or this one that he did. It wasn't an interview. It was uh, how to fight and win. I think is what it's called episode. Mm -hmm. And I thought he did a really good job on that episode. Uh, how to fight and win, uh, because he was talking about how to be persuasive. And that's the, that's actually the fight now. It's, it's not um, occupying the capital or, or something like that, that, that doesn't do anything. And in fact, it's counterproductive sometimes. Um, so I think, you know, the, the issue of that, well, that's what I love about your idea of going into Louisville and it took me a long time to figure out how to say that that city i was always saying (laughs) louisville
1: and they were like no
0: no 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 it's louisville louisville you know but uh you know going you know being being engaged with your talents and your uh everything you're bringing to the table you particularly uh and using those talents and skills that you've leveled up on over the years and using it for patriotism and activism to try to recruit. The other side and try to carve out some of these folks in in the these decaying cities to to like you know hello this is america this is your right this is not just my right it's your right too we're fighting for both our rights here anyway i thought that uh did a good job on on that one episode and that's that's all i'm going to say about him i thought he did a good (laughs) job on that one episode and i appreciate that he's in congress for the most part um and I think it would be he, good he to quotes, have more he s- goes
1: directly most of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think he's against the assault weapon ban. Um and he's I think we need more folks like you, you and um, is it Derek up in Wisconsin? Yes. Okay. Derek Van Orden. Okay. Yeah, I think we need folks like you guys in I, I love that you're taking your your combat veteran stuff and your now channeling it to civilian political stuff that that's not necessarily a an easy transition right but well it's it it is what you have
1: steel teams so it's such a unique crowd and you've got you know roughly two thousand people in your objective area is planet earth so you you're spread real thin and the job is solving problems so you have to have a really open mind on how to solve a problem and you have to have a really receptive mind on identifying what the problem actually is.
0: Yeah, so that makes sense as far as going into politics goes. Um, so you don't have any problem with a civilian having a, a rifle that has a pistol grip. Mm. I don't think that, that that's okay. A flash hider. Because no. I think that, it's that? A, I, I think it's a. Fee, I'm just going through the features that they're scared of. A flash hider that's not gonna cause you nope, any no anxiety. Problem. Um, how do you feel about suppressors? Sound suppressors, Fine.
1: see, I look at it this way. I'll mean, give you here, I'll give you a brushstroke of why they're all okay. The Second Amendment's very clear every state has a right to a citizen militia. If you're gonna have a citizen militia, I want them trained with the best weapons that are gonna beat the other guys. So I'm for automatic weapons. If that's what you want to have and you can safely maintain it, great. If you're not a criminal, you can get one. Flash suppressors are fine. Suppressors or silencers in the movies, those are fine. If you have a 30-round magazine, I don't care if you have a 100-round magazine. If you can effectively fire that firearm, then if our state needs a state militia, like the example of Texas, we've got people that are ready to go for some more basic training on how to militarize those skill sets so the second amendment swings for both the states to protect themselves and the people to protect themselves and families to protect themselves as well
0: can we go back to iraq for a moment we didn't spend sure. any time there um mm-hmm. and, it, and you spent a lot of time there um and i'm just you know i'm asking you kind of run-of-the-mill dumb questions but did you lose any friends over there i
1: did what was that like uh, well i only lost one on my watch but i was deployed in iraq when operation red wings happened in afghanistan mm-hmm. and i knew a bunch of those guys so that was it's heartbreaking i mean you know these are families these are guys you guys went to training with the kid that I lost on my watch was an EOD technician supporting one of the East Coast teams attached to my team. Uh, great young man, good American, went out to go help Marines, and six Americans got killed when an IED went off as they were defusing. So uh, killed in the this of his 21st birthday. And it was you know, a testament of how bad things are. It's very, very heartbreaking. But the silver lining was I got to escort his remains back to his family in Massachusetts. There was 10, 15,000 people lining streets and bridges as the funeral, as the, as the hearse drove through wow. with signs for this young man. Wow. You go into his house and his parents were, you know, his, his dad was an elderly Vietnam vet. His mom was much younger than him, but you know, she was younger than me. And their house was a shrine to their son and his military service. So you, there's there's hope for America, because there's that kind of patriotism out there. It's sad that we have to see it through that kind of sacrifice. Yeah, but it was heartbreaking. The tougher part was after I retired, I've had a few of my friends take their own lives, uh. and that's really I I can't imagine it. Can't imagine why these are great, seasoned, retired leaders, you know, friends, and I think we need to take a longer look at that and. And not go overboard with it because I'm sure they wouldn't want us going overboard with it. But take a good enough look to where if we can save one or two more along the way, great. But that's been the the bigger heartbreak's been afterwards. What do you think? Because when you're when you're when you're in, you sign up for it. Yeah. And everybody else did too. So you you give them as honorable an exit as possible. When they're retired or they take their own life, you you really want to find out why. So we can prevent the next one, and you want to prevent the other ones too. But this is much more personal because they've served their country already. Right.
0: Do you have any um, any guesses about how what what the next step would be in terms of addressing that suicide issue?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. the the okay. The challenge here is getting over the political side of. It because it's going to be politicized. It's been politicized. Yeah. And when they come up with new programs and new spending programs that say, we're going to go after military suicide, there, there may be 20% of whatever legislation actually addresses it. And all the rest is pork barrel spending in some district that has nothing to do with the military. You know, that, that nonsense has got to stop. So I just think overall awareness throughout the country will help. And having Americans be much more proud to be an American, when you have kids that, we learned this in Vietnam, when kids came home from war and they were treated poorly. Now we have half of our country that wants to use the military as a social experiment. And that's an insanely poor thing. We want our people to be proud of our young men and women in the military. And we don't want to use them as political social pawns for the next wave of woke nonsense.
0: Yeah, the, 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 that, that bothers me too, because I think it loses sight of the fact that the military is there to win wars. It's just, it's there to fight and win. And once you start losing track of that, and that's your primary task, and it becomes like a college campus, it just seems like where are we? Where well, they're we going?
1: restricting leaders' abilities to handle issues at their level. Because they, they've got, you know, now if a kid gets in trouble, they can say, I was sexually harassed, I was gender harassed, I was racially harassed. They can say whatever they want. And it's actually a, a you know, political correctness is a new form of bullying, but they've treated that, they've taught the very lowest ranking people how to bully up their chain of command and get away with it. So good order and discipline's got challenges now that it's never had before in the military.
0: Say that one more time, Larry. You said it's restricting leaders' ability to to address issues at their level.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: There's too much bureaucracy, in other words.
1: Well, they've empowered very junior people to be able to bully their entire chain of command. Ah, yeah. Yeah, through political correctness. Wow,
0: that's a really, really interesting way to put it. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way before. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's not good. That, that, that's no, there's the opposite of the way it's supposed to be. To,
1: yeah, there's commanding officers and command master chiefs that are afraid, literally, afraid to employ reasonable good order or discipline because of the repercussions of an accusation up the chain of command alone.
0: Oh, man. That's devastating. I don't think we're we're yet we have re- we're ready for that. I mean, as far as the consequences of that, that's going to be devastating.
1: Well, it's 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 just like some of the things that happened when Afghanistan kicked off. Okay, we had an enemy that fought back. Yeah, and it it, it cleaned up a lot of the military that was you know, the kids that were there to get. I I just joined to get my college education. <laughs> <laughs> not to serve a patriotically, Ugh. so that got cleaned up quite a bit. And the the next conflict, China or Russia, will be formidable, and mm. will be challenged, will be pressed, and all of that nonsense in our military will be the first wave of casualties. Yeah, because we'll have to reharden America and reharden our military to being a machine that goes out there and destroys the opposition. And and America is not quite ready for that, so. The first wave won't be good for us.
0: I'm wondering what... There's a lot
1: of good patriotic... There's still a lot of good patriotic Americans out there that are tough as nails that will show up on game day. They're just not on the team right now.
0: Yeah. And the system is weird now. It just feels like the system isn't the way it used to be. It it feels like... um, To me, I see these officers, they're going through college... And I teach college, and so I know what the campuses are like. They're totally crazy. And I—I I, it makes me sick to my stomach to see that this is what's being pumped out into America. And what you're seeing is it, it makes perfect sense that the officers would bring that into the military, at least some of them. And so I'm not sure how much of this is top down or bottom up. Like it's just entitlement, but it seems like it has to be legitimated from the top down. It is. Um, from the president down. So... I don't oh, know. I was, or,
1: I was know. in under Obama. Yeah. And under Obama, we had to do these general military trainings in the SEAL teams three to four hours a week oh, where we'd wow. get in and get taught, you know, how to be okay with homosexuality classes, things like that. Wow. Uh, how to be okay with gender differences in combat. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, we want to be concerned about shoot, move, and communicate, care about nothing else. And that's really... Right. They, they've right. inundated the entire military from the top down yes. with this politically correct military invasive takeover. Mm. But it's weakened our military in no uncertain terms.
0: And you were seeing the weakening of it while you were active duty? I was. Wow. What was your last year on active duty?
1: 2013.
0: Okay. So, yeah, you were pretty far into Obama. During that time, so there was a a noticeable shift from Bush to Obama during your time, in terms of these GMTs. Oh, geez. Four? Did you did you say that right? Did I get that right? You you had GMT four, general four, four military four five, training. They call you said four to five hours a
1: week of GMTs.
0: Three to five hours a week. Three to five hours a it week.
1: Really? Wow. And what we would do is we wouldn't do them for a couple of months and then sit everybody in a classroom for two or three days and just get them all done.
0: Huh. Okay. Wow. I I definitely don't remember anything like that when I was I was in under uh, under Clinton. And yeah, we didn't have anything like that. That's interesting, man. It's just I just I feel so old talking to you right now. (laughs) Seriously, you feel like younger than me. (laughs) If it helps, oh. I was in under
1: Clinton as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that does help. But man, holy cow. That's that's crazy. So that's was that ever an issue in the in the teams, like homosexuality? Do you feel comfortable saying?
1: I don't know if you want to say no. There's I mean, you gotta figure in every group of society there's gonna be that 1.6 sure. percent that nobody knows about. And yeah. it was never an issue. I mean, if it came up, it was dealt with and done. It wasn't even really talked about because right. it wasn't something that you're, you were, you're were concerned about other things. Yeah. More concerned okay. about, you know, on the social side, your teammates, their families, your family. On the internal side, your skill sets as an operator. Gotcha. Shoot, move, communicate, do a good job. They, those were much more important things about than periphery nonsense. Like who's sleeping with who? Nobody cared. And, you know, now it's an it's an emboldened and empowered thing. So it's become yeah. a centerpiece instead of periphery nonsense. Yeah, And I'm sure for that 1.6% of our population, it's not periphery nonsense to them. But that's not the military's job. I mean, the military's job is to go out and destroy something.
2: Yeah.
1: It's also not a democracy. It's also not a republic. I mean, if you want to look at our military holistically, it's a communist regime designed to protect a republic. Because hmm. yeah. you lose rights in the military, right? And I have no problem with that because protecting our republic is worth giving up all of the rights that I gave up while I was in.
0: I think it's even worse now uh, than what you were dealing with under Obama because. Oh, I know it now was. you have, uh, not see I was on the college campuses during this time I wasn't in the military but I was on the college campuses and I was seeing that all the the so-called progressives were saying we just want to change the definition of marriage that's all we want to do it's fair I was skeptical of that at that time I was like okay usually if you want to change the definition of words you, you don't want to just do it with one thing because they the way they were doing it with marriage is they were saying that if you disagree with me then you hate me and so therefore i'm a victim of your hate and so they were redefining the word hate to be disagreement so they were already just disf- redefining the word hate and i was like oh, i was tracking this and i was like no that because i teach logic and that's part of the def- definitions of terms you, you got to be right on with that so i was uh that's my skill set and so I was pointing this out and then it, you know, as soon as the the uh, the Supreme Court redefined marriage, then all of a sudden it was like really quick. It was like within a couple of years. Now, all of a sudden, the definition of man is now we don't know what that is and we don't know what the definition of woman is. And they started just adding letters. <laughs> and I was like, see, I told you, i I you don't you don't listen to me. And I've had a lot of students. <laughs> That I had 10 years ago say I thought you were crazy 10 years ago and now it's like you were a prophet and I that's what I deal with is is being right about something and then it's just like no one listens and then you're it's too late and I feel like
1: well I yeah. think that supreme court decision is going to be overturned as well
0: okay and hmm. and really on two
1: fronts and one personal front is to me marriage is a sacrament given by God between a man and a woman validated from the church. Even though I've had a few of them, you know, I still, <laughs> I still think that the, uh, but, but at the end of the day, it's none of the federal government's business. Mm. It's a faith commitment only now where I think it's going to get overturned since Roe Wade got overturned, it's going to be the same precedent. It's a 10th amendment issue because nowhere in the constitution does it address the definition of marriage. Right. So why the Supreme Court stepped in and made a decision in the first place, purely politically motivated, it needs to be challenged against. So they can go. It's none of our business. It's up to the states.
0: That's interesting. Interesting take on that. Uh,
1: I, I mean, I, I just
0: there's so many. It's so, so interesting how wide ranging this conversation is. <laughs> We've got like from <laughs> firearms training to to combat. I was going to ask you about Iraq. I think I was in the middle of asking you about Iraq. I was going to ask right. you, uh, um, did you have any, I, re, I try to write down my questions when I'm, did you have any uh, combat engagement before
1: 9-11? Yes. We had deployments to, um, we, we had deployments to Bosnia, uh, Kosovo, East Timor. And there were others, the like South America guys, East Coast guys in South America had plenty of um, bits and pieces that came together. So there was, yeah. it, was it just wasn't the frequency. in you know, mean, Afghanistan right. Iraq. You're operating sometimes three or four nights a week.
0: Yeah, okay. I say, yeah, okay, as if I know what you're talking about, but I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> okay, I'm like, okay, no yeah, okay, I know. No, I don't know, but I, I know because you told me. Okay. That's all I know. <laughs> But okay, so so when you're in Iraq, what was combat like for you? Uh, I mean, did it do anything to you? Did it did did you no. feel yourself changing
1: at all? I've never had an issue, and maybe it's because you know there was a a psychiatrist that we used to use the military for mental toughness and conditioning your mind. Okay, and he his thing was that maybe three percent of the military. Is actually wired to be in the military. The other 97% are good patriots that want to serve their country and it's going to hurt them a little bit. I think I was a part of that 3% because it never bothered me. And when I would get on the plane to come home, the switch was off, the other switch was on.
0: So you're good and at compartmentalizing?
1: I've never, mm-hmm, I've never so had it's... any issue with um, okay. anything we did. The only the issues that I drug home with me would be usually bad administrative decisions that I would make along the way. Or you know leadership conundrums that I wanted to struggle with because I didn't want I wanted to get it right the next time, and, and yeah, that was that really sense. about it. Um, the guys that went out and you know the combat operations th- th- those were easier than we trained. Yeah, and because we trained a lot harder than we fought, uh. and they were they all went they all went pretty well. We were we were we had a good intel network. We had a great team, great teams, so. Yeah. To me it was about as good as it can get when we worked with other forces. Like we did a lot of time out in eastern Iraq or Western Iraq out western Al Ambar with Marines. Yeah. Right. They were great to work with. You know, I love those guys. Haircuts look a little silly, but you know, that's just Marines. <laughs> but they they you know, they show up. So no no issues for me on any of that.
0: The first time I saw a seal, a guy, and I didn't even know what I, I, I was 18 years old. I just gotten out of boot camp and I was at the defense language Institute in Monterey, California. And I just gotten off the bus and, um, the, there were some guys that were in these running shorts and they had long hair. They kind of didn't look like they were in the military, but they, did kind of look like they're in the military yeah. they all were wearing the same kind of sunglasses I and mean, there was just a certain look and some, some of them had the mustache that looked kind of like a cop and uh this is I, I i later saw one of them walking in camos they were wearing camo at that time and i was wearing like dungarees and uh I saw the the trident I didn't know what it was i you know saw it. there's just a certain look on him you know and and then I figured out, oh, okay, there's something different about that guy. He's in the Navy. well, anyway, this one guy came up, one of the guys was a short short guy I, I for the life of me, I can't remember his name i I just can't remember any of these guys' names, but there was a bunch of seals there, and they ran uh, a special PT thing. Uh, I think they ran the regular PT thing too, but, uh, I had run cross country in high school and this guy with a mustache, he was shorter than me, uh, came up to me and long hair. And I think it was a first class. And he said, you're on the run team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we had this commander's cup run team that we we would it was a joint base so we would run against the marines the navy had not it was every month and the navy had not won since 1988 which was five years before is 1993 and uh so it was like we're supposed to run in formation it was kind of silly but you know mm-hmm. somebody had a flag and that's why it was actually hard because you're only as fast as the slowest guy So I was uh, I was volunteered to be on this run team and I was the only non-SEAL on the run team. (laughs) And we we were missing we were missing one guy. There might have been another guy switched out that was not a SEAL, but there there was a I was so freaked out with these guys. I mean, they because I was PTing with them and I just figured out later they were SEALs and I was hearing them talk about stuff and got to know them a little bit but, uh, and then later they, they did some small arms training with me. They, they, I got my pistol qual and we went over to Fordord. Ord. That was great. That was just awesome. But, uh, they, uh, there's this one time, this is just a fun memory. I have, we were missing a guy and the, the, the race was about to start and we were winning every time we won like seven months in a row. As long as I was on that run team, we won every time. And, uh, we were missing this one, uh, somebody on our team. And so they were like, where's chief so-and-so and And chief so-and-so was a chief. You never saw he was a seal. And so he was not mixing around with everybody. So someone went and got him up. I guess he was taking a nap and he had pillow lines on his face. And I mean, I don't even think he was like fully dressed (laughs) and he, he gets in our, uh, and the, it was like minute a minute later we started running, and we won. And I and the guy's like thirty some years old, and he just woke up from a nap, and we still won. We still beat the Marines, which were all like twenty year old, you know, shaved head. Anyway, that's my little seal story. It's kind of fun. It's awesome. Yeah. So, Larry, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience and your heart. America. It's clear you're a patriot. It's clear you love America. And you've, you've done a lot for service of our great country. Is there anything else you wanted to share or talk about?
1: Um, you know, I, I guess the, collectively we're in a fight right now with our country. Yeah. And we're not, um, the fights with our fellow Americans, but it's not really our fellow Americans. It's a ideology and a regime that wants to un-Americanize our country. And they've got people leaning their way that we need to actually be compassionate to and talk to and let them know why we love our country. There's not enough of that going going on right now. Right now it's why we hate the other side. And I think we need to be the leaders here, not the angry mob. Because if you're angry, you're just afraid.
0: How do you how do you suggest people do that if they're struggling with anger?
1: Try and be nicer. And identify anger. What's the source? What are you afraid of?
0: So deal with your fear. You got to identify mm-hmm. it. A lot of people are not but, aware that it's fear. So I'm I'm saying anger, you're going directly to fear.
1: Right. I mean, there's focused motivation, there's intensity, there's, there's confusion, um, chaos, where there's always opportunity. But fear is, anger is just a little bit more focused and heightened fear. It's an mm-hmm. aggressive fear. So what are you afraid of? What has it, got, it so, got you so hot and bothered that you're so afraid that you'd rather be angry? Or is this anger just an empowering tool to make a new bully out of you? Wow, you know, there's some internal questions to ask, and then we, we just we just got to be a little bit nicer, but intolerant at the same time. You know, we're, have
0: you a been Republican through therapy? How
1: Democrat <laughs> the Democrats? What's that?
0: Have you been through therapy? Like no like psychotherapy? Wow.
1: Uh-uh. Well, I was in the teams. I had a million psychotherapists around me all the time. <laughs> the other guys. So you're like really
0: in touch with your emotions, Larry. <laughs> Well, you know, how did you become in think, touch with your emotions the whole time?
1: I think you know it sounds funny, but I think if you're a if you're a patriotic American and you're willing to fight for your country, there's a passion to that. There's an emotional drive to that, and and I believe that emotional drive is positive. So you have to be passionate. the Military isn't stone cold bloody killers. The military is full of people who care enough about their country to do something that they're naturally not naturally wired to do another human being so that it takes a great deal of passion to drive and that's without emotion you're nothing
0: have you ever killed anybody
1: we're not going to have that conversation but i've been part of it yeah
0: did you have any emotions at the
1: time same as always do the job do the mission focus look after your buddies look after yourself
0: okay did you ever feel like you were stuffing down emotions that you were having and just kind of stuffing just to deal with what you're dealing at the point i mean you have to do it you have not to not really because
1: we've got a always had a great number of different focused releases you okay. know you, you can't be angry or ticked off or frustrated if you just got done working yourself up to exhaustion then you're just exhausted so th- there's a lot of different releases out there and we always had a shrinkless big believer in you know a coach for the mental muscle. There's that's just another muscle group that needs a good coach. So having somebody around that's a professional that can help shape the environment is a plus. Having really smart leaders along the way that shape the environment is huge. Yeah, you, know, you don't need to rely on stuff you need internally if you have a team you can rely on. So yeah, nothing really gets bottled up that much.
0: What, what do you still work out? Um intensely at all Feebly, yes. you... okay what's your what's your workout routine like these days at your stage in life
1: well I've been i have not been working out for a few weeks because i have some knee issues but normally it's a squirrel machine and weights in the garage and then i've got a one-mile tracker on the property to go run and um, and i did a lot of chores busy take, running it, a take ranch, it easy so, yeah
0: yeah gotcha and do you, as far as community and friendship. Uh, how do you go about maintaining community and friendship? Do you, are you involved in a church? Do you stay in touch with people from the teams?
1: Well, I, I stay I in touch with the, with the old guard. I, there's guys I stay in touch with. I'm new in Kentucky. I just moved here in March. Oh. So I still don't know hardly mm-hmm. any. I just don't know a few folks here. So that, that's going to take some time, but I've got folks with the forces as a catalyst. So there's a place I'll go horse, I'll go uh, cattle sorting, and yeah, you know, getting to know some of those folks. So there's there's a few things. It's it's a slow build.
0: Did you grow up believing in God? And I hope you don't mind if I ask you that.
1: Absolutely, always yeah. have.
0: Okay. And it's that's, never even been in question. That's that's firm in your mind still. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Faith is always driven, and it's not. I don't I mean there's a lot of churches out there I don't like. Yeah. Because they're money making shams. But they're, um, you know, I've never questioned faith, my faith, never questioned Christ, never questioned God. It's always been very easy for me to go, oh, yeah,
0: okay, we're there. What was that like maintaining that when you were working uh, in the SEALs? Because that's
1: uh, hard it was to, a hard job. It's easier in leadership. Well, I didn't go to church. I didn't go to church very often. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, just to me, it's a personal thing. But when I was a, uh, Tasking the chief or a command or command operations master chief or command master chief on those deployments, we'd say a prayer before we go out and off. Mm. You know, every every group's got their one guy that's the you know the resident Bible thumper. So I'd find <laughs> out who that guy was, and hey, bless the bullets, bless the guns, let's go. You know, everybody's carrying grenades this time. Let's have a let's have an Our Father for the grenades. You know, it was no issue at all from the leadership position because. Nobody everybody was saying that's
0: separation it. of church and state. Nobody was saying that.
1: <laughs> well, that's not a constitutional statement, so we're still defending the Constitution. Yeah, but someone might still say it. <laughs> yeah, if they did. I. Well, here's you'll, you'll like this. So um, when I became a command master chief, there was one thing I made sure everybody got, besides a, the individual sit-down counseling with me, the whole command, and all of our attachments. On, on the government dime, I bought everybody in the command a copy of the Constitution. Wow. And made them read it. How cool is that? And when I was at wow. logistics port command, I had the chiefs do homework on it. So what? people wow. that were in the military that swore an oath to give their life for something they'd never read it, read it. That is awesome. So the idea of church and state separation, it was really never a question on my watch because all the guys knew better. man and i say guys collectively there were women too yeah
0: yeah right 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 of course how do you feel about women in
1: combat i don't like it if our job is to go out and kill the enemy with the best foot forward then somebody who's physically weaker shouldn't be on that best foot i mean they allow women in combat but they won't allow a woman in the navy to lift more than 40 pounds unaided So it's a political move that's sacrificing young people. Now, are there exceptions out there? Sure, but we don't need to account for those exceptions because remember, the military is not a democracy. It's got a mission. We don't let handicapped people in the military. We don't let people with certain types of eyesight in the military. So those, those are all things that say the military's design is to be efficient, not to be socially correct. Now, there's areas in combatant or com- combat support roles where I believe women are actually better. Um, okay. uh, like for instance, would, for instance, would be uh, women in EOD, explosive ordnance disposal, particularly on the diving side. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time scuba diving, so I, I, I know this. So women's bodies use oxygen better than men's do. Women's lungs have a natural layer of fat around them that protect them better. Consequently, for scuba diving, they're more suited to it. Women can handle certain types of stress for longer periods of time generally than most men can. I'm making general statements here. So if you were to take a woman and put her in a dive team DOD, I think they do a markedly or at least a noticeably better job than men. But there's a physicality that goes to that job as well. So that offsets it. There's there's heavy things to lift, there's heavy gear to move. So, you know, there, there is that debate line right there. There's wow. few. Yeah, I, I don't see why we're getting stronger as a military, even though I heard an admiral say, women in combat makes us stronger. And he was just some fat pogue who had never been in combat. So, you know, I, I get his point of reference, but it doesn't make us strong. Women flying, yep. Women combat pilots, you bet. But there's a, the problem here isn't a woman pilot. The problem is when one of our women gets shot down and captured by the enemy and brutally raped and beaten. We as a country, are we ready to take that? If a man gets abused in prison as a prisoner of war, we're conditioned for that. If one of our women gets the same treatment, we should never be conditioned for that. If we are, we've lost who we are. Yeah. Yeah. So I that's. Hope I answered your question.
0: That, I, that, with flying colors. Um, in fact, you reminded me of a, another part of my training where I was involved with, where I was around seals, which I've forgotten about, which was Seer, and mm-hmm. I ahead. went through Seer on Coronado, uh, the Naval Air Station North Island there. And, um, as I was an air crewman and, uh, the, there was, there were females in that class and they, not sure how much I could say about this, but there, they used that against us, put it that way, very effectively. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, and I remember thinking going through the training, I, I remember thinking, wow, this would be so much worse if it was real life. And I'm having a hard time right now. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's something I struggle with. I, I had this experience where a, a woman that I serve with, I, my, when I got to my first deployment, I was trained by a female and I thought she did a pretty good job. We were flying, uh, reconnaissance. And, um, in fact, if you know, the first George Bush's first Big foreign thing that happened in two thousand one. It was a, it was a, an EP three that had uh was crashed into by a Chinese fighter pilot. Yeah, the,
1: the pilot's name wrong way, wrong way. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, So, you have some idea of what I'm kind of talking mm-hmm. about right now. So, uh that kind of training, although I was at a different squadron, but that kind of training. I thought fine, but I, I did think it was distracting. I thought and I, I, I don't say this as a personal thing. I, I say this as from from an organizational systemic thing, I thought it was distracting the dynamic there. Um uh, that we were not as focused on on what we could have been doing. And if we were in combat, maybe we we would have been more focused. I don't know, but um my i got out of the navy kept in touch with some of these folks one of those women became a master chief and i was friends with her on facebook but she defriended me when we had a discussion recently on women in submarines and i served in subsurface combatants in a support role an intelligence role for uh special operations before there were any women on board mm-hmm. there were never any women on board right so i mean i already feel so dated just even saying this and i was trying to imagine you just even birthing because we were always in the weapons room and i was sleeping next to a tomahawk because i wasn't part of the crew i was i was a special team that was on for a specific reason a specific mission and uh anyway i, I j- just it, it's not like the disagreement was just about policy it just felt like it was more than that. It was, it felt like it was again, like re- redefining the word disagreement to mean hate. Like I think on her part, like she was, mm-hmm. she was being manipulative in, in other words. And it's I thought,
1: geez, it's a blame tool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, well, I do have some experience here and I do feel like I have a legitimate point and it's like, you can't even say it with people just calling your names and, and Yeah, I'm. I'm not crying about it. I'm just noticing that's mistreatment. I don't feel like it's conducive to talking intelligently about this kind of thing. I just. I think that if you're stuffing women in there for political reasons as a social experiment, as you call it, um, it might make people feel better, and and they know how to say the right thing. You know, like that one. The guy you were saying uh makes us stronger you know the whoever it was a vice admiral or who, whatever admiral mm-hmm. was saying that well they they know they're supposed to say that but it doesn't mean it's true <laughs> right you know and and it just it just i can't imagine and maybe we're going to figure a way to do that and maybe it's the maybe the, but it's always this fairness from you know this fairness consideration Uh, getting in there and I think it clouds the issue of fighting and winning wars and I wonder how much of our technology the further we get from the battlefield more we're pressing buttons and playing video games from Nevada or whatever uh, to kill people Uh, the easier it is to say oh this is a bureaucracy just like the Department of Labor or the IRS and we have to hire anybody and then you know promote based on you know minority status or or you know these victim categories well
1: the navy when i was in i had the privilege of sitting on a few chief promotion boards, chief senior chief and master chief and it was a fair process and it was a fair process that accounted for women and minorities being looked at differently so and in fact a friend of mine who was a best friend i've ever had black guy who retired from the fire department in san diego and they were having a problem with promotions
2: hmm.
1: um, and specifically the minorities were not being promoted with their peers with everything across all, all things being equal. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, here's what we do in the Navy to make sure that doesn't happen. And he actually introduced that policy into their fire department and it was implemented. So that the military has been pretty good about the promotion side of it, but the flips, the reverses happened and that's the only cases I've ever seen of, of true discrimination in the military were uh, there. Well, for instance, one year, there was a couple of master chief lesbians that were on the Corman promotion board. And there was a massive amount of cronyism on the women that they were promoting mm. where they were caught. That board was, uh, they got in big trouble for it and the Navy cleaned that up. And then I saw on um, one of the ships that i was on because as a seal you go to a lot of different ships as platforms that you're operating off of there was one ship where the command master chief and black guy and a select crew of black sailors on the ship were this mob hmm. and they were horrible how they treated anybody white and he was wow. subsequently fired from his job and the navy took care of that issue very fair and above board process so I've seen the pendulum swing really only one way in the military, but I've seen it handled really well. Oh, well, that's good. And so, you know, if there's, if there's hope yet, it's on that front.
0: And you think that the folks that are getting higher ranks in the Navy and, and do they deserve it? <laughs> and I asked you this uh, as a master chief.
1: <laughs> I think one of the problems that we've had is we we've, we've made um, flag officers have a presidential influence on their promotion sets. And Obama really misused that. He promoted a lot of people to flag who should not have been promoted to flag based on um, political influence. So at that level, it's it's politicized way, way too much. Then the master chief community has taken a chunk out of that book and is politicized way too much as well. One of my students we had at at the Senior Enlisted Academy, a young black chief, who was a real go-getter. She'd made chief in like ten years, so wow. she was a she was a hard charger. Yeah. And one of the uh, questions we we get a student in front of the whole class and say, "Here's a question, and you know, what do you think your future in the navy is, or your future as a leader leader?" And she said, "Well, I'm going to be the first black female master chief of the navy." And so the next question was, "Well, what makes you so special?" Well, it's time we had a black female oh master chief in the navy wow. and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And you know, then we beat the daylights out of her because it was like, "Oh, well, leaderships about everybody else. So this is only about you and only because of your skin color and only because of your gender. Why don't you just lead with I want to earn it?" Hmm. And she she got pretty upset. And then a few days later she had, she cornered me to talk to me. And she said, I really said the wrong thing. And she said, it's an honor to be here. And it's an honor to hope for a promotion. And I said, I hope you're not paying me lip service because you're saying the right thing. Don't get promoted because you said the right thing. Get promoted because you do the right thing for somebody else. And, uh, you know, where she went, I don't know. But that was a, that that was empowered at that point in time for her to stand up in that audience and even say that. So I can only think it's worse
0: now. It's got to be worse. I mean, that whole yeah. "it's time" thing—I I can't tell you how many times I've heard "it's time." Like, okay, so these major policies, so you'll, I'm supposed to look at my watch. <laughs> that's oh, it's that time. It's time for that. Oh, okay, great. And that—that's yeah. that, that—that's—that's the level of thinking is—is is, uh, you know, people will say what year it is. It's 2022, and so therefore, this policy is right. Yeah, and it's like, no, that's not how it works, logically. <laughs> you know, just look at the, what time it is. You got, I love that, the well, uh, well, focus what on your ad.
1: Yeah, all we're doing politically and nationally, is we're validating bigotry, we're validating racism.
2: Yeah. You know, the that's president
1: right. says, well, it's time we had a black woman on the Supreme Court. We're validating racism. Instead of saying, I'm going to find the very highest qualified person for the job. Right. And if it happens to be a black woman or Asian or white or whoever, fantastic. But I'm going to find the best person I can with my means for the job. No, he didn't. He went right down the racist road. We're going to throw a bone, not based on qualifications or capability. So yeah, we're, we're, we're validating racism on that note.
0: Well, that's insightful. Yeah, that's true. The whole in time it's time thing is kind of ra- is pretty racist actually it's kind of odd too because it's like well what was it not time earlier like you know <laughs> <laughs> why why is it time today i don't understand why isn't this supposed to be a timeless thing um it's, it's i time mean i understand that the there's
1: president's down the polls you know that's surely what's the, what makes it yeah come.
0: it's been it's a bit of a tough road for us on race on race but you know i mean time time has nothing to do with it it has to do with your attitude and your capabilities. Gosh, how are you doing on time? Ready to wrap this up?
1: Yeah. I and mean, that's up to you. I got nothing going on.
0: Okay. I want to be sensitive to your time as well. I'm I'm having a ball. Master. <laughs> Chief. I keep wanting to call you Master Chief. Uh, I do have a, a few other questions I'd love to ask because sure. I think a lot of people are wondering how in the world you go through a career like that. Holy cow. And then you retire. Do you do you read, do you play uh, like board games? What do you do for fun?
1: I, I've i got 60 acres to make, into a, make it look like a park. So I've got oh a lot of gosh, trees to cut awesome. down. Um, I've got a lot of firewood to split for the winter because it gets cold here. I've got horses that need attention and I have a pond on my property that has fish in it. So there's plenty to do. Oh my gosh.
0: What kind of fish do you have in your pond?
1: Well, so far, uh, I've only caught little bluegill in there, Mm -hmm. but I did get a uh, snapping turtle close to the edge. Oh, that's cool. So there's all kinds of turtles in there. The fish are all too small to eat, so they just get caught and tossed back. But I'm just down the street from Nolan Lake, which is this huge lake. So there's plenty to do. Never a loss for something to do. And then... Because I kind of grew up, the teams one of the one thing you can say about every seal on a planet, boy, do they know how to relax.
0: <laughs> Tell us what you mean by that.
1: You don't mean drinking. Uh, I see a, a lot. nice, cozy afternoon. I want to yeah. go sit in a lawn chair or a couch or uh, hang out and sit, sit in a chair with my horses. It, it's real easy to do.
0: You just reminded me of a, a conversation early on when I was 18, running with those seals where this guy was telling me about his, his way to take naps. And oh, yeah. I I had to, I have had to heard from this from a seal early, the, early on because I, I like totally learned from this guy. He was telling me, you sleep whenever you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Sleep whenever you can. He's like, yeah, I, I sleep standing up sometimes. So um that's funny that you say that. Uh uh napping
1: is an art and every team guy is a master.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what is so okay, tell us about the napping skills.
1: So um, you know, if I'm driving and I get tired, I can decide if it's going to be a nine, 10, 11, 12 minute nap, and then I'll be asleep within. 20 seconds and I'll wake up to the minute because that clock has already been developed. If I have time to take a long nap, like 30 minutes and it's near as close to heaven as I'm going to get in this lifetime, then poof, nap. But naps are, uh, wow. the most wonderful thing in the world.
0: <laughs> I don't know how else you function. Otherwise uh, like in terms of some of the stuff you're doing. Did you learn that in buds? When did you learn that?
1: You, you learn it in BUDS, you define it over the years because uh, BUDS training is hard, but in the teams, things are hard. In BUDS, you've got this fabulous coaching staff that teaches you what you have to do and pushes you and drives you. Uh, maybe not in the most nice manner ever, but they, they do that. When you're in the teams, things are harder and there's nobody driving you. You have to drive yourself. It's expected. Um, you have to show up because everybody else is you have to know mm-hmm. to be very comfortable with all your strengths and weaknesses because your strengths are going to be leaned on your weaknesses are going to be exploited and time is one thing you sacrifice so if your time is gone and you're in that environment you have time for a 10-minute nap you'll see 15 guys take 10 minutes when they get that chance and, and wow. you're all asleep in 20 seconds so how'd that happen yeah wow because we could yeah so that's, it's, it's and do you still? The culture.
0: You still have that ability to to just dial it into the minute on how many
1: how long you're going to be asleep. I don't know. I haven't tested it in a couple of years, but I'm sure if there was a you know if it was stress related, I would be able to. So.
0: Can now what about napping positions? Then do you have to be in a certain position to nap, like bodily? Yeah. I'm saying.
1: No, you can nap on a pile of rocks.
0: <laughs> you could be sitting down and nap anyone doesn't
1: matter wow sitting not standing i'd fall over i feel Um, like but
0: i feel like one of you guys i don't know if it's you or somebody somebody needs to like develop a program on that you you would be a a (laughs) trillionaire i think
1: if you not really you gotta go through
0: such a painful route
1: to get there (laughs) you gotcha
0: people are not willing to pay the price i got it okay Interesting. Well, I'm I'm I I appreciate naps, and I wish I had it dialed in like you do, because I I know that my performance goes way up when I have them if I have a mm-hmm. good one, but I haven't figured out exactly how to. I I have figured this out. Um, get rid of all devices around me. No no phones. No nothing. No no little signals going through my body. Nothing you know, just a different room. Also, I don't, I'm not tempted to look at my email or whatever, because sometimes I'm just laying there. And, you know, yeah, you have time sensitivities. You have to get it done. And I feel a lot better when I get a nap in. So uh, do you, um, so you're like fr- Ronald Reagan over there, splitting wood on your 60 acres. Do you ever worry about trespassers?
1: Not in my neighborhood. It's 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 a very it's a farming area. There's a lot of Amish in the neighborhood, so there's you know horse driven buggies up and down the street every day. Okay, but it's everybody's got a good sense of uh, looking out for each other here. This is not a neighborhood where I would worry about trespassers at all. Do you carry Unless a gun when
0: you're walking around? No, <laughs>
1: when I'm going shooting I do, but not really. I mean, if it's turkey season, I can see people trying to sneak on the property because there's a yeah. lot of them here. Oh, okay. But, you know, the, but even still, when it was turkey season a few months ago, the neighbors came over and knocked on the door and said, would you mind if we went and hunted hunted back, back side of your property? Go ahead. I don't like wild turkey. Get them all, you know? Wow.
0: You don't even ask for one of them? <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> That's I just nice. give it away.
0: Can you shoot deer on your property?
1: I can. In fact, I, I inherited a uh, deer head trophy in the, in the living room of the house that was off the property. And I've seen a number of deer on the property and there's, this, there's a deer stand that's like a little house shed on the back 40 by the hay field on my property. So wow. when deer season comes up, and I have not been deer hunting, but when deer season comes up, I'm gonna definitely get one. Oh man, you gotta go. And there's go. a processing plant, processing place right down the street hmm. that you, you, you take, drive right down there and drop it off, come back in a week and pick up nice packaged,
0: for the winter you don't even have to skin it you just bring the whole body yeah.
1: wow yep. that's nice I mean, it's that's 10
0: really minutes nice. away so oh geez throw in the truck drive down the street wow i'm glad you're having an awesome retirement that's awesome that makes me it happy is. that makes me real happy so uh you got naps um crime reading did you say you do reading Do you do you
1: ever read books I used to read a lot. I don't as much anymore. And I need to read reinvigorate that. I used to read a lot of deployments because that's what you would do at night or, or during the day when you were supposed to the sleep cycle.
0: What kind of books would you read when you were deployed?
1: Anything like from, novels, anything from the Bible to Harry Potter to novels to, you know, Quick reads, to, you know, it didn't really matter as long as it had a pace to it.
0: Are people easy to get to know in, in Kentucky? Have you tried to get to know your neighbors?
1: A, a few so far. People are very friendly here, very well-mannered, which I appreciate to know in. And if I was, I'm sure, a lot more proactive about meeting all the neighbors, I'd know all the neighbors. I'm just, yeah, I'm still so big in Indian.
0: Yeah. Uh, And are you an introvert or an extrovert?
1: Well, in the Myers-Briggs type indicator test, I'm a uh, extrovert. No kidding. Oh.
0: Larry, if you're an extrovert, you would be perfect for politics. I've run for office. You have? Mm -hmm. Really? What did you run for?
1: I ran for the House of Representatives when I first got out. No
0: kidding. Was that in San Diego? In
1: San Diego. It was in the district I grew up in, and a a guy that had been running the last two terms. This is against Susan Davis, a longtime uh, Democrat incumbent. And Nick Popovich, a wounded Marine, had been running. And I got out, and I was at some uh, Marine thing as a guest speaker, just as a retired master chief. And he asked me if I would run. He goes, I've done two of these. I can't do it anymore. Would you run? And it was in the neighborhood I lived in and the neighborhood I grew up in. So I said, sure. A Great learning curve. Um, a lot of disappointments in the political environment, people in that industry, but great experience. And I think against Susan Davis, nobody had gotten above 30 points. It was a plus 29% a Democrat district. And I walked with 43% of the vote. So it worked out real well.
0: How many percent of the vote did you get? 33. 43.
1: 43. Wow. Yeah.
0: In a plus 21 Democrat district.
1: Plus 29 Democrat district. How did you do that? Well, when I was a kid, I used to box and wrestle with Jackie Robinson Y in um, East San Diego, Southeast San Diego. It It was the Black community. So I knew a lot of folks there, and I would go to every event I could in every neighborhood Susan Davis would not. She was a rich, white, Jewish woman, but she was a Democrat. So she wouldn't, she wouldn't show her face, you know, south of Interstate 8. And because I would go to these different neighborhoods, well, I was very comfortable, you know, and, and yeah, I didn't grow up in a, in a wealthy family by any stretch. And in sports as a kid, you know, I'd been around all these neighbors. They're just folks to me. So I would go and right. listen to community issues and problems and I would tell them, hey, you know, house representatives can't solve your community issues, but you know, there's a bully pulpit that good politicians can use to help. Yeah. Because the House of Representatives is to run the country's business, not the district's borders business. That's why we have state and local politicians. And right. I said, but I'm willing to show up. And I'll, I'll put my noisemaker against problems if they make sense to me. If it's moral, legal, ethical, and constitutional, you know we're on. We're game on. So that seemed to resonate, and it worked wow. out well. Wow!
0: So are you ever
1: going to run again? It's um, I don't know. I can't. I can't answer that to, after the primary, and I get with my buddies. Um, Kentucky political powerhouse the guy that's running his campaign in Wisconsin right now. We're going to discuss that. Probably not. I would rather, I'll get more satisfaction if we can get some of the inner city um, shooting and empowerment events going. And, and Desiree is clearly the uh, you know, the point person on women's outreach. So there's oh, team good. effort. Well, wow, that's good. So the uh, yeah, that's that that will give me a lot more satisfaction than traveling to the House of Representatives to work in that swamp, you know.
0: Right. A third yeah. of my time. I agree with that. That's really good. Yeah, that what are you gonna call that outreach effort? Do you have a name for it?
1: No idea yet.
0: Uh I gotta come up with something snappy. No, uh, people... no idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a real a real problem for Nazis, I think I'll call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: maybe shorten it a little bit, something that's uh you can say because people have a short attention span, but um that that's all really good. So do you think Because crime going, reduction? I think it's local college's crime reduction. Or do you think that maybe you could name it after Otis McDonald or something? There's something there. Then people Google Otis mm-hmm. McDonald and go, Oh, he was black and that yeah, whole story. That's a good idea. Yeah, honor him. You know, uh he um oh I was gonna ask you, is uh, is Derek in Wisconsin, is he gonna win, you think?
1: Yeah. He's pulling yeah. really well now. Uh he's had some real good support. I think he's raised probably five or six million dollars, which is real helpful. He's he's an open door kind of guy. So he's he's not gonna not talk to anybody. Yeah. And, and he, like, like most team guys that are in politics, he'll show up in any neighborhood. He didn't care. He really wants, he's authentic about what he's doing. He's authentic about being a uh, pure constitutionalist. So hmm. it makes him freedom loving and embrace every American, not, not just, you know, our side.
0: Yeah. And kids will love him because he was a SEAL. <laughs> mm-hmm. What, what kid would like not want seal. that? What, what teenager? You know, there is a way to look
1: like a SEAL. He doesn't look like a SEAL. Really? What
0: yep, do you mean? Doesn't that?
1: look athletic, unassuming, nice guy, you know, and he was a really good seal. Huh.
0: You know, I can't quite tell cuz you're kind of in the dark, but I can't tell how long your hair is. Um, eh, you sure, don't look yeah. like
1: I, I can't yeah, tell
0: I, how long it is. You don't look like a seal haircut to me. Maybe you're Senior enlisted or something I don't know
1: yeah, I've kept it shorter throughout the years just because when my hair grows out it looks like a
0: poodle so <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope he short.
0: does win um, yeah and I, I'm really loving all the 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 uh, strategic element of how you're thinking. I think that needs to catch on all across the country in different different of these states where there's uh similar stuff going on where i, I i've always kind of wondered places like kentucky whether how how strong the second amendment community is and i think some of these states that are really solid on the second amendment they get kind of lazy and they get like thinking like everything's going to be okay and then you know they're not really working well, the other
1: thing too is so. what i now kentucky the second amendment is very strong everywhere but louisville lexington bowling and the thing that I found out since I was in California, and this was pointed out to me, I'm hypersensitive because of living in California. California is anomalous. California, New York City, Chicago, Detroit, those are all anomalies of normal Americans. Yes. They're crazy. They're insane. Yeah. But the rest of the country is actually a lot better. Yeah. So, right. uh, you know, right. I would love if I was going to have a a pinnacle of all this that i could say okay now go ahead and shoot me because i'm done <laughs> and that would be teaching small arms classes in south side of chicago and having the room filled with 100 people every time
0: oh man because how do then you then we're
1: empowering the citizen
0: create that and it how ha- we it will be funded i guarantee you ha- ha- i mean Do you have any idea how that would be structured and funded?
1: Not well. The the funding. So you can't we'll get no funding from Democrats in Illinois because their power base is based on a massive amount of people they keep down and they keep dependent. Right. It's Nazism. So would, would the Republicans fund that? I think after it caught on, if it looked like something they could get political horsepower out of, they would. There's a lot of individual Americans out there funded. Yeah,
0: fund it. Um, I think
1: Glock North America would probably be a good sponsor. I think Smith and Wesson, who just moved from Massachusetts after you know, century because of how bad things are, I think they would be a reasonable sponsor. I don't think getting sponsors would be that difficult. Okay. But my test bet is going to be Louisville. Okay. And, and I want to politically test the waters because there's going to be more people fighting it Politically in Louisville, then not I And mean, the program we were doing in California, that really Desiree uh, Payne actually started was women's outreach under Sheriff Chad Bianco in Riversides. Yeah, yeah. county. So I, I would be the rain safety officer on the range and uh, Desiree would get the class. And the outreach was mostly you know, mostly women, mostly minorities, and they all left wanting to go by themselves. And they all left in love with the idea and a smile on her face. So we've, we've tested it. The theory is tested and, and successful. Yes. We had a sheriff backing. So now that's if I go right. to Louisville, right. the sheriff, he won't back it. He won't back it, okay. He's a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat that's been there for uh, decades. Huh. And he, he's, you know, why would he change his own success? He has power now. Yeah. Crime rates through the roof, but he doesn't care. Yeah, And when you're fighting apathy, you can't fight apathy or the source of it you have to fight with the people that still do care so i got to go find those people wow and that's my challenge
0: yeah well we uh you're going to have uh people thinking about you and wanting to support you i think after hearing you and i'll bet praying for you as well oh, that's wonderful on that on that, on that. yeah that yeah, I mean, you got me sold on this. I mean, this this sounds like the key for for states like Kentucky. am I can't wait to hear uh more about when the next foot forward when you when you have a name for it and kind of an organizational way to do it, however you end up doing it. Do you have a website that you want to share or anything like that?
1: We um to I, I think because we haven't socialized this out of the website when we do. I believe okay. it's going to be under Vanguard. Okay. Um, um, Desiree Payne's website.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good.
1: So it'll be an on part of the organization as well. I'm proud to say so. So when we, when we get to that point, that will be the place to go to. Right now, you just see um, female firearms instruction and what we've been doing in California. So that's, that will be where it goes, but not yet. We're not ready for primetime quite yet.
0: Okay. Well, I might have to uh because of the assault weapon ban in being considered in the Senate, uh I might have to uh speed up the release of, of Desiree's episode and your episode here because we ended up talking about it. And uh I mean, got a few people ahead of you in terms of posting, but I'm gonna switch some things around and get you guys up before before that because of the politics of the whole thing. Right. And uh yeah. I've really enjoyed this, uh, this time with you. Thank you for sharing everything that you shared and thank you for your service as well. I
1: appreciate the, it's an honor to be here and appreciate the opportunity. And the invitation's open, come out to Kentucky and hop on a horse or go down to the lake fishing.
0: Oh man, you, you're going to regret. You said that master. Chief, <laughs> Cause I might just take you up on that. Okay. I'm a, I'm a, colorado boy and i i'm i miss being out in the open fields and open woods i miss it
1: we got it right here in the backyard
0: thanks larry all right sir thank you have a great day